Hello, everyone, and welcome to House of Fire and Blood, the podcast where we ask, what if George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood were told more like HBO's show, House of the Dragon? Uh, my name is Gretchen, and I use they, them pronouns, and I am here with Caroline. Hi, everyone. My name is Caroline. I use she, her pronouns. And uh, today we are continuing. Oh, what did you want to say something first, Gretchen? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, before we get started, uh, we have a massive trigger warning for oh, this episode. Oh, yes. We literally just talked about how we had to do this trigger warning, and I was rolling right past it. Okay. <laughs> yes. You want to explain? What are we What are we triggering today? What uh, lovely trigger do we, we have? Th- this episode, there is a massive trigger warning for body horror, intense gore, and violent, gruesome death. Uh, we're going to provide another trigger warning, like, right before we discuss that specific section of the text. Um, but, it, I mean, it's largely going to be a big chunk of the episode, because um, it's a pretty intense part of the story. Um, but for any of you who have read it, we're going to be talking about uh, Aria returning from mm-hmm. Valyria and George R. R. Martin's foray into horror. Um, yeah, it's pretty bad. Sometimes bad, really, really bad things happen on page. And sometimes there's a really gross drawing of it in the book. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I will also put in the description, I'll put the timestamps for when that is happening. So you guys can safely listen if you don't want to listen to that section of, of the of the podcast. All right. So, uh, Caroline, do you want to take us into not that part? Not that part. So we are talking about, um, we are continuing. This is part two of chapter Jaharis and Alessand, their triumphs and tragedies. We're starting on page 240 at the paragraph that starts, As the Seven Kingdoms celebrated word reached the king that his sister Reyna had been seen at Greenstone. And it's, this is a longer section that we're covering because we did want to cover area and the entirety. So we went to the top of the very top of page 253. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the section we are at here. And uh, as, just, as I was just mentioning, reading that line... Um, we had Prince Aemon be born last time, and Reyna is flying around, and next we hear of her is that she's gone to see her very first favorite, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, first Larissa favorite. Va- very first favorite, back in the day, Larissa Valerian, who um, was married off and had her own child, her own daughter, and uh, now Reyna's there hanging out with them. Um, and whoopsie doodle, who, who passes just so close by? To where Reyna is. Narrowly misses uh, Alyssa Farman, uh, who chose that moment to sail through the narrow sea toward Tyrosh. Mm-hmm. Um, she's trying to hire sailors to uh, for her adventure. She's got her sun chaser, and she wants to start heading off into the west, mm-hmm. but uh, needs some people to go with her. Yeah. And the text does describe it. She doesn't want to go west, like, to... Uh, you know what's weird, Gretchen? <clears throat> Th- this plot feels almost like it's copied from real life because it is uh, <laughs> that people, you know, pe- there are merchants that wanted to sail west to see if they could get a faster route to the spices and silks of the east. Mm. Hum. Mm. Wonder, that, that does <laughs> ring a bell, Caroline. I wonder where he got that idea from. <laughs> I wonder. Though though he does take pains to say that Alyssa Farman um, is mostly going out of curiosity. Like, she's not really yes. interested in wealth and spices. She's like, I just want to see what's there. Yeah. I'm she's just, just like, interested. I'm so curious what is on that side. Mm-hmm. 
Like, we should probably go. I just want to get real far away from from dragons for some reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and then the girlfriend that I might have stolen some eggs. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what happened. We don't know what happened. No, no. The eggs just jumped happens. into her satchel. She and... she tripped and fell. Whoa. And the eggs just were attached to her. And then, I don't know. Yeah. yeah she, she, she got to away. Pentos and was like, what the fuck are these eggs doing here? Right. I didn't take these. <laughs> I, li- I like this, like, like happenstance, like, sitcom level Alyssa Farman. <laughs> like, she's in an episode of Seinfeld. She bursts into a room like, Kramer, whoa, where are these eggs? <laughs> Who put these in my satchel? Anyway. <laughs> There's some interesting mentions, too, during this section about how far east, or rather, how far west people have gone. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, I'm personally fascinated by planetos and like where things are mm-hmm. and like um there is a, a pile of rocks out in the western northwestern ocean that's called lonely light where like a cluster of people live with like a lot of seals uh-huh and i always thought that was like a really romantic image until one day on unabashed book snobbery uh julia was like oh yeah the people on lonely light it's implied that they fuck the seals and i was like god damn it it is <laughs> Yeah. It is implied that they fuck the seals. But yeah. Alas. In the same way that uh Littlefinger talks like Peter Baelish talks about um where he's from and in, about the sheep. The sheep, yep. And how people yep. fuck like it's so lonely that all we have are sheep. Well the hmm. text says that the seals outnumber men fifty to one. I'm like, oh great. And then they're they're also thought of as sulkies, which yeah, is Yeah, which is really the, interesting because that's yeah. Irish folklore. Um mm-hmm. for like um, Irish and Welsh, it's, it's part of that, you know, that area where um, women who look like seals, like, mm-hmm. they turn into women. They, like, shed their seal skin, and there's, like, a pretty lady underneath. Yeah. Um, but you got to hide the seal skin to get her to stay with you, because otherwise she's just going to turn back into a seal and go to the water. Yep, exactly. I learned about that when I was a small child through some video game on the computer <laughs> that had that as a, as a plot where the main character's mom was a sulky, which is why she was gone. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? Hmm. I should figure out what that game was because it was really fun. Yeah. I have like early early childhood memories of that. Anyway. Nice. Uh, I don't remember that. So Alyssa Farman wants to go on her adventure. She's She goes and hires people out of Old Town because she's got so much gold mm-hmm. from from selling those whoopsie doodle eggs. And <laughs> um, I love that she gets the high, these Hightower guys on board. The sons. Yeah. Like, <laughs> for some reason. Like, like. The Hightower sons are sent to, like, talk to, give her a stern talking to and maybe put her under arrest. And they're like, how about we join? That sounds yeah. fun. Let, let's also sail west. What I'm wondering is if they were a second and third son. Like, if they weren't yeah. the ones in line. And so, the, you know how we talk about second sons searching for glory? <clears throat> like, if maybe that's what's going on. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, oh. Oh, we, we forgot to talk about, uh, there's some potential Balerian sightings, maybe? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Turns out that there maybe is no monster in, um, you know, over near the free cities because it was a trap. It's a trap. Oh, they it just was a trap. Got, yeah, Willem, Willem the Wasp and his little crew that was sent. Willem the Wasp was a king's guard. That's important because now he mm-hmm. dies and that leaves a spot on the king's guard for someone new, Sir Lucamore Strong. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a wyvern in Slaver's Bay. I We will talk about the wyvern in Slaver's Bay. I will talk about the wyvern in Slaver's Bay. <laughs> um, And there's like a big fire in the disputed lands that they're like, maybe a dragon said it. 
M- must be must be magic. Must be magic. Must be magic. Fires be don't just happen, right? Fires don't just happen. Only no. dragons set fires. Yeah, that fire that happened in Canada this, this past year <clears throat> up there, that was dragons. Definitely a Definitely. dragon. Um, dragon. But they still can't find Balerion. That's there's just this ominous note of like there, you know, is he here? Is he there? Where where's Balerion? No mm-hmm. one knows. Yeah. Well, where is Balerion until da da da? He pops back up at King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And yep. this is when the, the body horror stuff <clears throat> begins. Uh, this is just our summary, so we won't go too deeply into it. But Valerian comes back. Arya's on his back. She is not in a good way. Nope. She is in a bad... She is very bad. She has a very bad sick of some kind. Very bad fever. Yes, very bad fever. And she dies, like, within the day. Um, And... You know, so that's what happens. You know, big sad. She's young. She's like 13 or 14 at this point. Um, And uh, Septon Barth speculates that because Valerian also had injuries. So he's like, some shit went down. And he speculates that they went to Valyria. And he, you know something, Gretchen? Valerian was definitely driving the bus on this. Yeah. There's no way nope. that a 13-year-old could possibly have had any control over where Valerian went. What Valerian did was he happened to choose to go back to his home because he's the only dragon that was actually from Valyria. The mm-hmm. other dragons were born on Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. Um, he chose to go back to Valyria, totally of his own volition. Yep. Yeah, she was, nope. she was definitely not involved. No. How could she possibly be involved? Um... And then it's never confirmed that this happens exactly or that but it seems that Jaharis has told the Siri because Jaharis then bans everyone from going to Valyria. Mm-hmm. This this also, as I joked in my notes, this this jumpstarts his postdoctoral work in dragon history <laughs> and yes. genetics. Because he's like, wow, this this whatever this ha- whatever happened is super weird. Um, mm-hmm. I want to spend the rest of my life studying that. Um, so he ends up writing that book, um, Dragons and Wyvern, Dragons, Worms and Wyverns, Dragons, Worms and Wyverns, Their Unnatural History, which is mm-hmm. like one of those kind of semi-apocryphal. It's not really like there are bits, people know it exists, but only in like bits and chunks and like Tyrion's looking to find a copy so he can read it. It shows up in A Song of Ice and Fire. Because it was later burned by Baylor the Blessed. Baylor the Blessed did some bad shit to our books, man. Um, yeah, you can't you can't see, but I am wearing a, a shirt today that says uh, "Ban the fascists, save the books," uh, and it feels very appropriate for what we're doing yep. right now. Yep. Um, awesome. Okay, into our analysis. So, Gretchen, what was the maester thinking? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love your first note here. <laughs> History will call them besties. <laughs> Raina going to visit her first favorite, her first mm-hmm. companion, just really good friends. Good friends. I mean, the text almost outright says, like, they're fucking. Like, it, it almost outright says that. The, that Lady Larissa's presence drew Raina Targaryen to Estermont cannot be doubted, for the island was elsewise singularly lacking in charm, being damp, windswept, and poor. Mm-hmm. So this, it's like, yeah. This is Brienne's hometown. Don't talk shit about <laughs> it. Um, yeah, she's going to visit her cousin. Her Her only, like... Her only living companion left like 
my god. That's why this is so tragic is because literally it's like this is the only person left to her. Everyone else was murdered by her husband and then her husband mm-hmm. died. Committed, yeah. you know, died by suicide. And so literally all right now and like her daughter flies off. She goes to see her other daughter and it went about as great as you can expect. Yep. <clears throat> yep, it did. Given that they haven't seen each other most of their lot, most of, you know, Rayla's life. And then mm-hmm. she's like, well, who do I mean, the only person alive is my first girlfriend who was married off. So I guess I guess I'll go hang out with her. Like, mm-hmm. Raina's and we won't get to like how Raina Raina's story wraps up, but it's like really tragic. And this is the beginning of it that like you can see that she's just kind of like wandering. She's like sad and mm-hmm. lonely. The the yeah so her so we get the the cap the cap of Raina's story in the next section mm-hmm. so we we'll talk about it there but I actually think that she has a really nice ending mm-hmm. so we could talk about that in that episode <laughs> um, right but yeah so she goes to see her her bestie and then the other big thing with the Maester's bias is like we were just joking about in our summary is that teenage girls can't tame dragons nope the the blatant like sexism on page what's funny about this too is that i think i was messaging you recently i've recently been dipping back into reading some forums Mm -hmm. uh, because i've been reading through a song of ice and fire and i've been sort of following up on some ideas and stuff like that and the things people think about this story on the internet like i have read several times people just taking this at face value that valerian brought them back to valeria Mm mm-hmm and I'm just like, can you answer me a why? Can you give me a why? Yep. Can you just maybe like, wh- why would that occur? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And why, of all times, Valyrian has never, so far as we know, never flown back to Valyria since everyone escaped the doom. Mm-hmm. Never gone back. Yep. But I guess now he was like, Oh shit! I have a teenager on my back. Gotta go to Valeria. Time, let's go back home. But like, <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But the only other explanation is that Arya chose to go there, mm-hmm. and Gildane cannot. His patriarchy brain cannot give her that agency. He right. can't. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also that Valerian is like this old, like because. Bal- I think and we can talk about this more later, but like I do think that part of that patriarchy brain is because Balerion represents the trappings of power, as we keep talking about, that like he is yep. the oldest, most powerful dragon. That yep. if a teenage girl could control him. Whoopsie doodle. Yep. Oh what does that mean? Whoops. Is it maybe that men shouldn't inherit over their sisters? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's the situation. He just like doesn't want to contemplate that it is possible for a teenage girl to control the oldest, biggest, most powerful dragon. Yeah. Because um, I think all the writers of Balerion up until now have been men. Mm-hmm. And I, as far as my recollection goes, I think beyond Arya, there are not any... I believe there's only one additional writer of Balerion, which we'll eventually get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's... And I don't think there's any other women who write Balerion. You know? Yeah. Whereas Vagar, who was originally Visenya's dragon, right. has female writers, and like it's not a big deal, mm-hmm. you know, right? Even though Vagar's also a giant fucking dragon, oh yeah, right? Gildane, Gildane, sweetie, Gildane. come on, get uh-huh. it together. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Gildane. there's this really funny section where like uh, Gildane 
like takes to task the idea that planetos could be flat mm-hmm. um and it's very amusing to me um because it it feels like both like this is a bit of fourth wall breaking from martin who's like the earth isn't he's like like george r, r. martin is not a flat earther no no of course not no. at all so he is both taking to task like the the real world the, of idea of a flat earth and also like he's responding to a Reddit forum that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> like he's like Planetos is also not flat. Yeah. In case you weren't sure. The mm-hmm. planet round like the moon, yeah. the sun. We round. Because he says, then, as now, ignorant small folk and superstitious sailors clung to the belief that the world was flat and ended somewhere far to the west. Some spoke of walls of fire and boiling seas, some of black fogs that went on forever, some of the very gates of hell. Wiser men knew better. The sun and moon were spheres, as any man with eyes could see. (laughs) Reason suggested that the world must be a sphere as well. And centuries of study uh, had convinced the Archmaesters of the Conclave that there could be no doubt of that. But yes, it's just... Gil Dane and George R. R. Martin are not flat earthers. And yes. Or flat planetosers, I guess, if you want. <laughs> so planetos is not flat, FYI. Yeah. It is also a sphere. Or perhaps it's conical, you know. Yeah. Be. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> we do have conical we Westeros. So, I mean, just because we know it's not flat. Doesn't mean we know it's not a cone. Yep. You know? Those are two different <laughs> things. Hey, I, where is your proof about that, Gildane? Mm-hmm. Doesn't even address it. Nope. Nothing. Nope. Nothing on, on Conical Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also just had a funny moment that I wanted to call out where uh-huh. um, I was noticing like some some uh, consonance was happening. Where uh-huh. uh, on page 241, where this it's talking about how Alyssa Farben is passing close to Reyna. It says the perilous mm-hmm. passage through the pirate-infested waters of the Stepstones. I was like, "Wow, Ooh. George, you got a lot of plosives in there. You're just yeah. really the perilous pirate-infested water. Just yeah. perilous passage through the pirate-infested. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a kid who was given a school assignment to do alliteration. Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, that's what the maester's thinking. He's having fun with words. Yes, he's, he's got to have fun sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into our analysis. What really happened? So we're going to start with um, our girl, Alyssa. Alyssa Farman. Yes. We love her. I want the Fairwinds adaptation immediately. Mm-hmm. I want it now. HBO, please give it to me. Put it in my hands. Let me hold it close to my heart. Because the amount that this particular story engages my brain is like just absolutely, it's insane. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrated because there are all these questions and I don't have answers and I want answers, but I also don't want answers because I don't want to know, but I do want to know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I, I love pirates. I love gay pirates. This is why I love the show Black Sails. Everyone go watch Black Sails. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be such, such a cool adaptation. But anyway, what really happened? She made a boat and she went west and everything was fine. Yeah, nothing happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um uh i had a note about the line where it says the gods in their caprice chose to keep queen reyna and her betrayer ignorant of one another i was like okay george thank you you're lampshading the fact that you did that that you were like right i want i want them right next to each other but not noticing (laughs) thank you george appreciate you 
George, we know you're the god in the situation. Yes. It's fiction. We get it. The gods, a.k.a. George, the author. It's meta. It's a meta thing. We know. <laughs> we understand. You were but writing like, a story. You're writing also- a story. And you said they're going to be close to each other, but I don't want to deal with them interacting. So they happen to not know. Yeah, exactly. I want them right. Like real close, but not too And there's like a pun happening with like it's in the narrow sea and they're narrowly missing each other. Mm-hmm. And like he's doing it, you know, whatever. Um, but like that would make really good visual adaptation though like a really tense mm-hmm. like scene in a TV show where like Alyssa is like on the prow of her ship look you know like mm-hmm. I don't if know somehow, if, if Alyssa knew Raina was there but Raina did not know Alyssa was there that mm-hmm. would be like if Alyssa had to make a choice like we could either sail this way like quickly uh-huh. Or we can go, like, a longer way, but, like, avoid the X. You know, and she was just like, fuck it. I'm going right near. Yeah, I like the idea that, like, as she's sailing, she sees Dreamfire. Ooh. Oh, that would be so co- I got, like, chills. Oh, yeah. that would be so cool. And then it's, oh, like, I a moment that. of, like, oh, no, Raina's there. That would be perfect. That would be perfect. Uh-huh. I kind of also like the idea of Alyssa Farman, like, character-wise, being someone who, like, progressively over her life gets a little bit, like, more and more reckless. Uh-huh. And that, like, her recklessness is a character flaw that maybe ultimately leads to the demise of the Sun Chaser, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or, or whatever happens with, you know, with this, in the story. Because uh, it is reckless also, just this mission. Yep. This concept of, like, I'm just going to sail out. And see what happens. Yeah. Sail west. You know? And it's not just her. She's not just endangering herself. She's endangering her whole crew. Mm-hmm. She's like, but I'm going to pay you really well. Yeah. And they're like, yes. Right. Sounds like a plan. Oh to, have, oh, to be independently wealthy to be able to do whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's because somebody slipped those dragon eggs into her bag. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> she tripped and fell on dragon eggs. Yeah, ended up exactly. In her satchel. So, so nice when, you know, luck works out that way. Yeah, it's it's very good. Um, I wonder if she'll become a magic lady in the East. Yeah. Anyway, but I do um, I do really like one th- one thing that I find so compelling about this is like we haven't there aren't really a whole lot of seafaring characters that we spend a lot of time with either in a Song of Ice and Fire or in Fire of Blood, um, mm-hmm. and the fact that one of the ones that we do is a queer woman who mm-hmm. is like not about money. Like this, mm-hmm. this, this reads so differently from like, um, our historical kind of golden age of exploration, imperialist mercantilism that mm-hmm. is what drove so much of what we call the age of exploration was about like, we have nations that want money and we're going to go find trade routes so that we can have money and then we will Christianize the natives so we can have more money and more power and blah, blah, you know, like it's all about imperialism. And this is literally, mm-hmm. she's just like, I don't know. The world is large and strange and I want to see what's there. And mm-hmm. um, it's really fun to have like that energy that like this, that Alyssa Farman story is driven by just this like broad minded sense of adventure, even if there is some a, a kind of recklessness about it. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that she is so different from, you know, what one expects of like a seafaring. No, someone of this like. From our own history, like, I did a whole report on Sir Francis Drake when I was in, like, fourth grade. Um, mm. <laughs> that that knowledge coming back, coming back right? in clutch for the podcast. Um, <laughs> and, like, it's such a, like, 
his story and all of the kind of privateer and or like Magellan, Columbus, all of those is like that's very different from what's happening here with Alyssa Farman. Like mm. she she doesn't have any interest in like imperial power. In fact, like kind of the opposite that this feels like it's an escape for her. Like this is a like I'm fulfilling a dream of just like seeing how big the world is. Yeah. I and I think that's possible in those in Westeros for her because she is a woman. Mm-hmm. If she had been if she had been a second son, I mean she might have done something similar, but I think the the purpose would have been different. It would have been like for glory. Mm-hmm. Cuz you could also easily spin this as a like I'm I'm going to be the first to discover this. Right. I'm going to be the one that does this because it's like on for me my family honor, my glory, my my name whatever. But Alyssa Farman is in a patriarchy where her name is unlikely to go down in history anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's not something she's saddled with. You know, yeah. that's why the patriarchy is bad for everyone. It's bad for men, too. That's mm-hmm. something that a, a man in her position would be saddled with. That she's not. She has that freedom. And she's very unique in as, as a person to have that freedom, right? She needed a lot of stars to align mm-hmm. for her to be able to do this. Right. Which is why we don't have another example. Like, I mean, the closest other example we have of, like, a pirate queen is, like, um, Asha Greyjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's born into a culture that is, like, a specifically reaving sailing yeah. culture. Mm-hmm. Like, that's expected of her. So, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. I mean, I love me mm-hmm. some Alyssa Farman. Yep. Yeah, and it's different from what you were saying about the Old Tower, the um, the High Towers from Old Town, which was a question mm-hmm. I have is, like, why did they join? Like, why, like, what convinced them to go from, like, um, being told that they need to, like, basically arrest her, maybe, to, like, joining up with her? And I think you mm-hmm. hit it on the head that it's probably something about them being second and third sons, or, like, they're not the firstborn. So, like, but if they were to do that, it would be one of those. It's about glory. It's about, you know, like, mm-hmm. a, a name of, like, oh, I am going to go and find a thing and do a thing and... I mean, I would imagine she's happy to have them along, even if their, like, goals don't align. It's like, great, more bodies, more people, more ships, more people helping me, and I don't care, like... Yeah. And I think also there is just a level of this regular base human curiosity Mm -hmm. to be like, well, don't you want to find out? Yeah. Like, don't you, don't you wonder what's over there? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't, like, there could be, and, like, Alyssa herself seems to have thought that there were other lands, that there Mm -hmm. were, like, other continents, which there may very well have been. You know, if, right. for all we know, there's encounters with other continents that we, we just don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, it'd be so fucking cool as a TV show. Anyway, uh-huh. uh, I, th- I think there was a lot of ways to play to, to people to get them on board. Gold, the promise of future gold, the promise of glory, base human curiosity, like that adventurous spirit, like what mm-hmm. Alyssa has, that she could she could crew this ship with people that have... A dedication to doing this mm-hmm. right right um so speaking of old town um like there's actually like some interesting thing that happens when she finally gets to old town um mm-hmm. uh, other than like the high towers joining up like she almost gets caught this is where yeah. she, she finally almost gets caught mm-hmm. um by the targaryens mm-hmm. um because uh, the her her name Alice Westhill finally hits King's Landing, and Jaharis yes. sees right through that name. He sees right through that fake name and knows immediately that that's Alyssa Farman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to throw this out there. No, he doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) No. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. What about the name Alice Westhill and Alyssa Farman has anything that would give it away? Somebody told him that's Alyssa Farman. Part of the intel that came through is this is Alyssa Farman. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, right? Like he was a, he was told. I, like I just don't believe like he heard the name and knew immediately it must be her. It's like no, someone said like there's this chick going around saying her name is Alice Westhill, but it's totally Alyssa Farman. Right, right. Or and even like said, there's oh, a, shit. there there's a lady sailor looking for people to sail with her to the west. Um, she sure does look Westerosi. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like even just the idea of there's a woman captain of a boat looking for people to sail with her i feel mm-hmm. like there probably aren't a lot of those around um probably I not a lot like- of like female captains looking for crew to man their ships to go with them into the west and like if there's one thing you know about Alyssa farman is that she was really good at boats <laughs> and ran away and like it would make sense for her to want to be hiring a crew like to me i'm just kind of like oh so you deduced that that the woman captain of a boat looking for people to sail with her was Alyssa Farman. Like, congratulations, that's the only one around. Like, mm-hmm. there's only one of those. But hold on, I'm just doing some Googling because I want to see where Fair Isle is in, in relation to Old Town because I'm pretty sure they're right next to each other. But yeah, Fair she went Isle. around a bunch. Because I think that she would have just been recognized. Where are you, Fair Isle? Okay, so she is up here. Oh, I see Fair Isle. All right, Fair Isle's not super close to Old Town, but it's it's close. It's like would be another major port. Mm-hmm. So Fair Isle's like further north on the western coast, but it's still south of the island islands. So, um, like the only major thing in between them really is the shields. So mm-hmm. she's a, a she's a, a a boat lady, as we've discussed. I I think there's a very good chance that in Old Town she would have just been recognized. Right. Yep. Because she's undoubtedly been there before. Mm-hmm. If she's a sailor and she's sailing around. One of the places she would have been is Old Town. Right. And we know that... So she- it's like... Go ahead. I was going to say, so the combination of like what you're saying, like, oh, there's a mysterious lady sailor who's trying to sail very far away from this continent. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that, like, she, like that that gives her away. And also the fact that, like, she's just probably being recognized in, like, these this port, these, like, you know, the different places you go to try to hire people. Mm-hmm. Um, plus she has to be like, advertising that she has gold to give people. Like, there's all these things that, like, make it very apparent who she is. It's actually kind of interesting that she wasn't caught sooner. Right. Yes. No. Uh-huh. Right. Um. Yeah. So, like, yeah. The idea that it was her name that gave away and not just, like, I don't know, her face, the context. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the way she looks, the person she is. Yeah. That might that have done it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think that somehow he divined from Alice Westhill that that that's Alyssa Farman. He was like, but the text make it sound like he's he's like got some like incredible insight. Like he knew immediately. It's yeah. like yeah, but anybody who had those facts would have known immediately. It's not that complicated. <laughs> like I know you really want like Gildane. I know you really want Jaharis to be the smartest boy, like the the smartest boy, mm-hmm. kind of magically smart, but like. It's fine. Like, it's fine. He doesn't have to, like, intuit everything. It can just be, mm-hmm. like, he received reports that it could be Alyssa Farman, and he believed them and followed through. Like, what a good king. Good job for him. Like, yeah. Um, but Donald the, Donald the Layer said, hmm, I'm going to 
delay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I do think like the text is like maybe yeah. Donald the delay or delayed again. And I'm like, he probably did. <laughs> yeah, he probably did. I believe he probably that. did. He's like, I think he did. I'm not going to send out any ships after until later. Just going to. Is Donald, Donald was the, is, was on the father of the two high towers that were on the boat with her? I believe so. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm not going to send out ships after another ship that two of my sons are on that then they're going to get in trouble about. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, whoopsie doodle. Oh, it was his grandsons. It was grandsons, yeah. Yeah, Lord so Donald's I, yeah. grandsons, Euston and Norman. Like, yeah, I don't see him going on off after his grandkids anytime soon. Yeah. Um, nope. He delayed. He did. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Uh, I also just want to point out the names of these ships. So we've got the Sun Chaser. We've got Autumn Moon. So we've got a sun mm. and a moon ship. Um, and oh. also Lady Meredith, whoever Lady Meredith is. Um, but yeah, I like I like Autumn Moon. I think that's a mm-hmm. that's a cool name. Um yeah um but uh one other thing i wanted to say (laughs) one thing that um that struck me about this that i found funny was that um uh the response after donald the delayer delays sending ships out um Mm -hmm. our smartest boy jaharis is like you know what i should just fly after them i'll just what if i just take the plane what if yeah what if i just hop on my you know private dragon and sail out after And, like, Alli- be fine. and Allison's like, don't be a fucking idiot, Jaharis. That's a very <laughs> bad idea. Please don't. Allison's like, you dumb fuck. You can't, your dragon can't fly forever. Right. You have gonna- to land. You have to land and refuel at some point, dude. You can't just take the jet out op- over open water and think it's going to be fine. You need to know where you're going. Right. And they don't have <laughs> maps. Like, the whole point is, like, you don't have maps of the Sunset Sea. Like, at this point. Right. They, like, so, like. You're just going to fly Vermithor until you both get tired and you plummet? I mean, what a great idea. There goes the king of Westeros. Just like, (laughs) down in his lane. Yeah. Oh, man. He was like, he's like, this is what I'm going to do. And she's like, no, no. But I am just like enjoying the visualization of this scene in my head where like he gets the message that Donald like didn't send the ships out. And he's like. I'm gonna go after them myself. Um, somebody get Vermithor ready. I'm just gonna leave. And Allison's like, honey, no, no. it's very bad. But he's just like impetuous and like, I gotta go get him. No one else mm-hmm. is gonna do it. Only I can do it. I gotta go. And she's like, no, no, don't, no, no. This is very bad. And why would you do with this? What are you gonna gain from it? Yeah. The dragon eggs are gonzies. It's what are we? It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Like let them yes. let them sail off into the west. Don't don't worry so much about it. Don't worry. The plot will take care of them for us. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go up to the. <laughs> but the other thing that made me really sad reading this was thinking about Reyna going with her. Like as we keep coming back to, like what if Reyna had gone uh. with her instead of trying to hold her. On Dragonstone, and I was thinking of that in this part. I was like, "What if Reyna went with her?" And literally, like Reyna had nothing to to lose. Mm-mm. You know, she could have gone with her, yeah, and left Arya back at Dragonstone, or let let Arya go back to King's Landing and right. be happy. You know, like Reyna just had to embrace love as love and follow her girlfriend. She just had to U-Haul with her girlfriend. She just she had to U Dragon with her girlfriend <laughs> into the sea. <laughs> Oh my god yes yes <laughs> and that they would have lived happily ever after like mm-hmm. come on you right. know 
They could have. I still stand by the concept that you could build a smaller attachable boat or a boat you could tug along mm -hmm. that is just for the dragon to lay down on mm -hmm. so that the dragon could rest. Yeah. I think that would be perfectly doable. Yeah. I think so. so. Ugh. Man, somebody write that fanfic for me, please. Yeah, someone write the story where, where uh, Reyna and Alyssa literally sail off into the sunset. Like, mm -hmm. quite literally. Oh my god, they would the literally be, oh, the ship. Oh. <laughs> the ship of dreams. <laughs> the ship sails itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. You want to talk about Balerion? Yeah, let's talk about Our some Balerion, Balerion sightings before we talk about Balerion actually coming back. <laughs> So I kind of love the idea of, so realistically, I don't think these sightings were Valerian. Yeah, I don't. But I kind of love the idea of like embracing it and being like every single sighting was Valerian. And Arian and Valerian were having the weirdest road trips <laughs> in Essos. Like in every single one, it's like a certain point in time he was in the fighting pits and maybe that's how he got hurt and she had to like break him out. Mm -hmm. If he like started the fire like while escaping, like I'm just like, what if he was, what if he was every single thing? Yes. All of them. <laughs> he was the monster. Maybe he but was. But left just... but by the time they got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause they're like, and in earlier sections, there was some Balerion sighting. So like, it would be fun to like pull them all together and be like, yeah, no, all of this is Balerion. All yeah, what if they what if they all were in fact Valerion and Arya was just kind of going all over Essos? Because I think like we've talked about uh our thoughts on uh who was driving the bus and Arya was driving the bus. Arya was driving the bus. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, Arya was definitely driving the bus. The, where, the idea guess... of a dragon like flying itself without like when you have a rider and the rider not being in control is like fairly unprecedented. Like it's not entirely impossible. But like the mm. only example of that that I can think of where we know that that happens is Danny and Drogon, and that is we again like kind of mm. it's unclear what's happening. But like I can I can hear the people being like, "What about Danny and Drogon in the in the Dothraki Sea?" It's like, well, mm. it's not entirely maybe, but also like she doesn't have a saddle or any mm. like she doesn't have any of the things also, that like dragon also, riders Drogon, use to control their dragon. Drogon takes her back to his nest. Yes. So he has, like, an established nest in the Dothraki Sea. Yep. And he, like, saves her, and then, well, he, he gets excited because people are dying and bloody in the pits, and it's delicious. And then he, and then she jumps on his back, and he saves her, uh, and he takes her back to where he takes his naps. Yeah, yeah. He's you know, he's, like, yeah, he's taking her to his, like, cozy corner. Right, exactly. Valerian does not take Arya to his cozy corner. No, he doesn't. Like, so, we know that Valerian doesn't nest in Valyria. Like, that's not right. where he goes. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, his nest is on Dragonstone. He's really, Valerian's really a homebody kind of dragon. He yes. He's not, like, out, out and about in crazy places. I kind of love that, like, Valerian has this reputation just because he's big and old. But, like, most of what we see from Valerion, unless it's Magor riding him into battle, like, most of Valerion is just, like, he seems to just, like, sit around. Well, Valerion's an extremely well-behaved dragon. Yes! There's no indication that he ever is, like, fighting his rider or, like, not listening or, like, having an attitude or whatever. Like, I, like, um, like, he, he seems to just be, like, a very good boy. Right, right. Like, he's not, like, like I'm thinking of, um, oh is the hound's horse is named the stranger right stranger stranger yeah Yeah, like straight like okay good comparison like stranger's like an asshole horse yeah like 
really only seems to like Sandor Clegane and like doesn't really mm-hmm. like anybody else. Kicks, bites, fights. Like you compare mm-hmm. a stranger to Balerion and you're like, oh, Balerion is just like the sweet old Clydesdale horse. Like, yeah, Balerion just like he just wants to eat his hay and yeah. chill and lay down. Right. You know, I'll compare this to it when I was when I was a wee child, when I was like in high school for like two or three years, I rode this horse uh, named Calvin, who uh, was massive. He was a giant black horse, kind of like like stranger. Uh-huh. And he was a dick. People hated Calvin because he was very difficult. And he would do things like bite. Like, he bit me several times. I had, like, bruises on my thighs from him. He would turn around to bite me when I was putting his saddle on. Because he, like, didn't like... He was like, fuck you. And I'm like, well, fuck you. I'm putting the saddle on anyway. Um, <laughs> but he he was a very difficult horse. Uh, but he was very good with me. Just, like, inexplicably. Mm-hmm. There was, like... I, I wasn't, like... I was never a particularly good horseback rider. I did, like, only what we would call flat work. Like, I don't do any jumps or anything like that. Because that's all scary. And I don't like to go too fast. So it was like very, it was all very relaxed, low level kind of stuff that I just rode for a long time. And just inexplicably, he was like cool with me. So mm. like he would still like bite because he just was just a horse that bit. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, when I would ride him, he was, he was lovely. And it was something that I remember like my trainers at the time being like, everyone hates this horse but you. And I'm like, I don't know. We just get along. Uh-huh. And it's just like, you know, that happens. That happens with with all kinds of pets mm-hmm. you know dogs yeah cat cats they have their own preferences because they have their own personalities and feelings mm-hmm. and i imagine dragons kind of as a cross between like horse and dog in terms of mm. like emotional intelligence right you know because mm-hmm. just because we don't have anything i'm just trying to think we don't have anything like textually that indicates that they're like very smart or something like that no you know yeah, I'm, not like I, dol- dolphins yeah. or something. Yeah, I know that people want to argue that dragons are like, you know, really, really smart. But I like, yeah, I don't get any evidence that they're all that smart. Uh, when we when we get deeper into the dance, there's some battles where dragons are involved where there's no riders involved. Uh huh. So we can maybe talk about their their relationships to each other at that point. But right. like, just thinking about a song of ice and fire overall, I, there isn't a lot of indication that i mean they have a level of intelligence and they have a level of emotional intelligence but i think it is similar to a horse or a dog yep. where they can like they can care for a particular person they can have attachments mm-hmm. and they can listen to commands yep but they can also not listen to commands yes yep yeah so i that that's kind of how i understand the dragons at this point at least yeah yeah but yeah like that i mean and in that model like yeah, I just it's highly unlike like I I pretty I will I will go with you and just say like it to me it is it makes zero sense for Balerion to be driving this bus. Like no no right. like there is someone would have to work very hard to convince me that Balerion mm-hmm. is the reason that they went wherever it is that they went. Mm-hmm. That like exactly. all signs point to both within the text itself and all of the signs that we have from like other dragon relationships between dragons and riders is that dragons don't just fly off on their own to some random place that they never mm-hmm. go. Um, that like dragons, mm-hmm. if if left to themselves, might fly to their cave. You know, mm-hmm. like if the rider doesn't direct them in a particular place, they might go home. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, like same. If I'm not directed to a particular place, I also go home. Right, which like <laughs> fair. Yeah. Look, like if no one's telling me to go any particular place, I'm probably just going to go to where I like to hang out. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, which like we know that Valerian doesn't hang out in Valeria. So like why is he in mm-hmm. Valeria? Probably because Arya told him to go to Valeria. If that's and where they went. There are other dragons that hang out in Essos because I think later in this text we'll get, I believe it's Vagar who is known to hang out like on the cliffside somewhere that is not Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget if it's in Essos or if it's in Westeros, but I, we'll, we'll get there yep. uh, several chapters in the future. Uh, so it, it's not like George hasn't thought about where the dragons hang out. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like they... Yeah. They have homes. They have places they go. But there were before we get into the meat, the real meat of Arya and Balerion, like, um, there were a couple things we wanted to touch on about the Balerion settings. You noticed that that the the monster near the five cities where everyone dies, including the member of the Kingsguard, that there's no reaction. Yep. Again, our boy Jaharis. Jaharis has having this pattern of bad things happen, and when a bad thing happens and there's no one in particular to punish exactly, uh-huh. he just doesn't do anything. Yep. So we had this example previously with um reyna and uh andro farman mm-hmm. and everything that happens on dragonstone yep. and they're just being n- nothing yep n- no answer to any for any of it and this time willem the wasp and all of his dudes go out they engage with a guide a pentoshi guide or an, i forget i think it was pentoshi um to find this monster it ends up being a trap mm-hmm. and they get jumped and they all get slain um and there's some talk in the text about like going to war with Pentos over this and the king saying, like, no, I'm not going to punish everyone for the actions of a few brigands, which is fair. I think that's a fair way to look at it because mm-hmm. it'd be silly to start a war over that. But also, what about the brigands? Right. Are they ever taken to justice? Do you ever find them? Are they ever punished? Are they, like, anything? Right. You don't contact Pentos and you're like, hey, if you don't give us those fuckers, then I'm going to come there with my dragon. Like, uh-huh. That feels like the simplest thing in the world. Like in this case, there's specifically someone to blame, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's the the people that planned this this trap. Right. Yep. So, yeah, and it'll be interesting um, when we get to compare this to some later decisions that Jaharis makes. So let's put a pin in this, like mm. what Jaharis cares to threaten people about. Yep. Um, and this is not one of them. He yes. he is not. He doesn't feel stirred up to, like, do anything about it. Which, like, we can compare this to how he's acting in Old Town. That's a, this, mm-hmm. this is actually a really good point. That, like, you know, bunch of people, bunch of people die, including a member of his Kingsguard. And he's like, I don't want to fight about that. But, like, yeah. he hears that, you know, Alyssa Farman is in Old Town and gets away. Mm-hmm. And is like, I want to fucking hop on my dragon and chase after her. Like, yeah. oh, you really care about those dragon eggs, huh? That mm-hmm. that's what you really care about. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And as we talked about when we talked about the dragon eggs, about like, well, if only Targaryens can ride them, who cares? This What's is just the problem. More, <laughs> this is just like more evidence that like he's so fixated on getting those dragon eggs back. Why? Mm-hmm. Why begs the question of why does he care so much? Like he cares on, more engineers. about that than he cares about a member of his Kingsguard getting murdered. Straight up murdered, Straight not up like murdered. accident. 
not like I went and fought a monster and died. You know, uh-huh. not like it looked like not like it looked like a rabbit, but it turned out to be deadly kind of thing. You know, like straight up murdered by somebody, like trapped and murdered. Okay, I also love the idea that maybe there's a rabbit hanging out around. Penthouse that would be fucking that's great. What, that's what He's got fangs. He's got fangs. <laughs> Can I complain about the wyvern re- Yes, re- please. Okay, 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 okay. The wyvern in Slaver's Bay. Okay, this is a, 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 a critique of my boy George R. R. Martin because when the bad show came out and the dragons of the bad show had two legs and only two arms with wings, mm-hmm. right? They didn't have four limbs and wings. Yep. So a dragon has four limbs and wings. That's a dragon. Mm-hmm. A wyvern has two legs and then two arms that have wings, kind of like a bat. Mm-hmm. That's what a wyvern is. So when the when the bad show came out, I was like, that's not a dragon, that's a wyvern. I understand you have a limited CGI budget and probably adding more limbs to this would be complicated, but like that's not not a dragon, that's a wyvern. Then everybody on the fucking internet was like, well, George R. R. Martin said that that's what the dragons look like and that that's what they're supposed to look like, whatever, whatever, etc. And I'm like, okay, he never really describes them in the story one way or the other. We don't know how many limbs they have. Uh from anywhere in the text we just know that they are quote-unquote dragons so whatever fine Mm -hmm. um then he includes the fact that there are also wyverns in this universe to which i'm like george if there are also wyverns then how are they distinct from dragons if your dragons are also only have only have the four limbs and not the six limbs what do we how this doesn't make any sense to me. If there are also wyverns from Sothorios that mm-hmm. are often mistaken for dragons. Yeah, that's the best part about this is that, like, Septon Barth is, like, really salty about it. He's like, yeah. a wyvern beyond a doubt, he declared. The wyverns of Sothorios are oft taken for dragons by men who have never seen a dragon. And I'm like, if, if Septon Barth can be super salty about, like, oh, I mean... I guess if you've never seen a dragon, you might think that's a dragon. Then there must mm-hmm. be a visible, visual difference between a dragon and a wyvern. Enough right. that Septim Barth can be, like, super pedantic about it. Or Septim Barth has never seen a wyvern uh-huh. and doesn't know that maybe they are of the same species. Yeah, maybe I guess there that's are, true. Maybe there are dragons in Sothorios. Right. And they're just not dragon lords. They're just are like maybe a species of smaller dragon or something like that. Because well, wyverns also tend to be smaller. Oh. Um, but that that's not necessarily true. It, it's it's also all fucking fantasy and fiction, so you can make shit up. Okay. But tinfoil yeah. hat. Do do it. I love it. Tinfoil hat. They're not different. They're the same. But they have to call them different things so that people don't think they can ride a dragon. That they're like, mm. anything that they're like, oh, they captured this mythical creature and are able to control it enough to put it in the fighting pits. That's a wyvern. That, not, yep. a, not a dragon. Sure, not, not a dragon. dragon. Only yep. Targs can tame dragons. So that must be a wyvern. Mm-hmm. And, and you would definitely know the difference if you'd ever seen both. Yep. <laughs> I, I like that theory. I love that theory. I, I think it makes more sense than... I mean, it probably was this is just George R. Martin didn't think all too hard about it. Right. And, you know, it's, it's fucking fantasy. So a wyvern could be anything you want. Right. You know, uh, I had an argument once about the difference between a wyvern and a cockatrice with someone. And I was like, thought I was losing my mind. But I mean, it's <laughs> fiction. You can, <laughs> you can make arguments for what you want. But I kind of love the idea that, like, this dis- this is a distinction without a difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That like they're like, oh, that 
The ones that the southern people have, wyverns. Those are those are only wyverns. Who cares? Uh-huh. It's like a wyvern is like a still a dangerous creature. Mm-hmm. You know, right. that's why you're talking about putting in a fighting pit. Uh-huh. So I kind of I, that's why I wanted to rant about the wyverns because it just it just annoys me. Yeah, and- the dragons should have six limbs total, but alas. Yeah, and all of the illustrations, the dragons only have four. They're all of the illustrations. Mm-hmm. They're wyverns. Basically, they have back. I they know. have legs and wing arms. Yep, worms. Yep. Worms. <laughs> worms. They have worms. They have oh, worms. Not them. Aria has worms, not them. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I like the idea that like the, the conspiracy that people think is happening is that the dragons are part dragon, that the Targaryens are part dragon, that there's this like blood magic, that like mm-hmm. the conspiracy is that like the dragon, like that the Targaryens have magic dragon blood and are like part dragon themselves. And I'm like, no, the, ri- the, the real conspiracy is that dragon that targaryens are special They're, right that's the, like, uh, that's that's real the con- biggest that's the biggest conspiracy is that targaryens is are that special the targaryens are special <laughs> and that dragons are special that like the targaryen dragons are also special and not the same as any other creature that you find in the world that might look like them that like nope these are wonder- separate things these are special things we can't approach those i wonder also if it's just that the dragons are the most western placed wyverns because we yeah. know from like word of mouth or like there's r- r- rumors of dragons in a shy, mm-hmm. right? The shadow, the shadow beyond a shy. Yes. So maybe there's just like a lot of these creatures in the far east, and we just don't know about it because our main characters are in the far west. Yeah. You know. Right. Right. And they think they're really special for having them, and they're like, no, I, I mean, you can find those kind of other places too. Right. Exactly. Like these are all over the place in. Sathor- they're, they're actually a pest in Sathor- <laughs> we, have get rid of them. we have exterminators you know to handle yeah, that for the wyverns <laughs> wyvern extermination co <laughs> I'm sorry your castle has been infested by wyverns we're gonna have to we're gonna have to bomb it we're gonna have to do one of those little tent things over the whole thing put yeah. a little pesticide oh. in there and just poof kill all the wyverns it's so annoying it's so annoying when they have to do that you know <laughs> they have to, you have to move out for days where do you put your garrison when your right. castle is being wyvern bombed, you know, I just, right. it's, it's very, really difficult out <laughs> it's here. It's really obnoxious. <laughs> yes. I enjoy this headcanon. <laughs> I like it too. Um, I read a, this is going to be kind of a, a, a bunny trail, but I read a, a sci-fi book series um, called, El- like the first book was called Elvenborn, I think. Um, mm. uh, it was a fantasy book series, but one, of, like it's similar in that one of the things I loved about it was like, You've got, like, a planet with, like, humans and elves, and the elves are, like, shitty. They're, like, assholes Ooh, at the, who are, like, okay. kind of ex- enslaving the humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the – the series never finished because it was a um, – it was written by – I can't remember the name of the second author, but Andre Norton was one of the, the co-authors on it, and she died. Um, oh, she was a really prolific okay. sci-fi fantasy author from the 60s and 70s. But she died, so the series never ended. But the book, the last book that that she co-wrote with her with her co-author ended with, like, they find this portal and they find these creatures that, like, look like elves but are, like, bigger and stronger and more monstrous. And you realize that, like, the elves had run away from the planet where they were being enslaved to, like, come to this planet oh. and enslave the humans. So it's like, oh, bigger versions we got bigger ones that are like you know like you were making big yeah yeah and i'm thinking about that of like you know people from the east if people from like a shy came to westeros and was like 
oh, that's so adorable that you think you're special for having these. Oh, no, we got, like, everyone has one of those back where we live. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, but, I oh, actually, but you've, like, conquered a whole country based on them. Ooh. Ooh, I don't that's know embarrassing. That. Yeah, that's embarrassing for Ooh, you. Like, <laughs> really? Ooh, really? Gosh. Like, maybe the dragons of Westeros are just, like, the Great Danes of, like, the dog world, yes. you know? Like, now, well, now you got me thinking, like, were the Valyrians just, like, breeding for size? Right. You know, did they just breed? Because there's nothing to indicate that dragons just, like, have always existed in this form. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have lots of myth- mythical creatures, particularly, we have a lot of mythical creatures in the Far East, because they talk about, like, manticores mm-hmm. and all different kinds of stuff out there, like, that we just don't know about. Um, so, yeah, it's very possible that that was, like, a selective breeding thing. Yeah, and we do know that House Targaryen was a, like, um, was a house that was associated specifically with breeding dragons. With, like, was breeding it? and raising dragons? Yeah, I believe so, if I'm, someone can fact check me on that. But I'm pretty sure that, like, what we know of House Targaryen is they were not, like, well-placed politically. They were right. not, they like, high like up, house, but yeah. they were, like, one of the families associated with, like, breeding war dragons, maybe? Mm. Um, So they could, like, it could very well be that, like, the dragons that we see with the Targaryens are, like, bigger and heavy like they're like war horses like if you were like if you've only mm-hmm. seen a, a war horse you're like wow all horses are enormous and like right. have big giant barrel chests and are huge and like kind of mean sometimes but then you see like a normal horse and you're like oh no that's just a special kind of horse that's mm-hmm. just a or horse like was, a pony yeah that was like a horse yeah. that was bred for specific traits mm-hmm. so i wonder like if there were, like you're saying, that in Valyria, there were probably a, dragons for all kinds of purposes. Like, maybe they had the Wait. equivalent of, like, show pony dragons. <laughs> Where they did dressage and they did, like, aerial, you know? They did some, they had ones that were just... They had, like, like, glittery scales. Yeah. Just all over. <laughs> and they were just for, like, doing, like, cool loop-de-loops in the air and, like, art and stuff. I don't know. Look. <laughs> well, I think there's evidence for this in this area section. Ooh. So let's let's talk about area because I, I I think there's evidence this here. Okay. Um. Now this is our we're gonna put our trigger warning again. This is where we're going to be beginning to talk about body horror. This is just what George wrote. So, uh, if you don't want to listen to it, totally fine. We completely understand. Uh, but we are going to start that discussion now. I'll give you a second to skip it if you want to skip it. Okay. And let's begin the body horror. Um. So okay. Arya comes back to King's Landing and and worms burst out of her stomach. Disgust. <laughs> <laughs> this is so gross oh martin like it's really well done is the thing yes. like yes. for being like what can feel like a kind of random like swerve into intense body horror mm-hmm. um it's really well done it's really well yeah. done like, it's one of my favorite parts of the story mm-hmm. and the, re- the reason is i'm a big horror fan yeah so for for me I, I particularly like, um, I don't like body horror usually, like I'm not into things like the Saw movies or whatever, but these kind of like, this like eldritch abomination kind of shit mm-hmm. is like, like fucking give it to me, shoot it into my veins. I want it. I love it. Like one of my favorite video games is Bloodborne. I'm, I actually have a poster for Bloodborne I'm looking at right now here on my table. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I love that kind of stuff. And that's what this falls into. Yep. And he, he dabbles in that here and there. Yep. The eldritch horror kind of concepts. Euron Greyjoy of the books. Not show Euron. Show Euron yeah. is 
not at all eldritch scary but in the books right. he's definitely mm-hmm. like calling on you know exp- like martin yeah. is doing an eldritch lovecraftian horror abomination thing with euron Greyjoy. yeah well you have to when you have a god called the drowned god and they've worshipped the sea and there's <laughs> it's like come on yep. it's gonna be a cthulhu thing yep because he even explicitly calls it out here like as close as you can get where um on page 247 is it possible that there are other deities in this universe, monstrous evil gods such as the priests of Red Relore preach against, against whose malice the kings of men and the gods of men are not but flies? That's like very Lovecraftian, like, yeah. what if the gods are real and they're monstrous and they mm-hmm. do not care about you? Um, mm-hmm. Like, that's that, like, cosmic horror. What if the, the universe is, like, terrifyingly indifferent to human life? Yeah. Um, and what if it's like not even I mean the the Gildane here calls them gods, but I think part of what's interesting about like Elder's horror stuff is that it's not even necessarily that those creatures are are gods in the traditional sense, mm-hmm. but they're just like creatures that are so infinitely more powerful mm-hmm. than humans that there is no other word for them. Yep. You know, like we we would call that a god by virtue of its sheer power. Mm-hmm. Uh so I think I, I love that line. Actually, the one that you read, I highlighted that in my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's such like it's such it's a good so line, good. and it sets the tone so well for what follows. Like he, it's such a slow build. Like he has these like couple of pages, and it's like this is what part of why I think this is so masterfully written because the tone is just like ominous. You mm. get this like um, it begins with three blasts of the horn. Um, yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. that yeah, yeah, like, yeah. On page 245, yep, yep. it says, like, they heard the blast of a horn. He sounded the horn again as the wings grew larger. And the third time. And I'm like, you know what three horn blasts mean? Others. Yeah. Yep. Like, yep. so even though this is not an other, like, we're supposed to be thinking of, like, oh, shit, three horn blasts, something terrifying is coming. Something terrifying and magical uh-huh. and impossible to fight. Um Yeah. A force of nature, mm-hmm. which is actually my theory about what this is, yep. but, we'll, but we'll get there. Yeah, and then, like, it's, like, the first couple of pages of the description of what happens to Arya is so sparse. It's just, like, mm-hmm. she's, she's, but, like, what you get is, like, again, really ominous. Like, mm-hmm. um, no one wants to talk about what's happening, and the fact that no one wants to talk about what's happening, like, builds such good tension to be, like, mm-hmm. okay, Everything that I'm getting sounds kind of scary, but no one wants to tell me what's actually happening. It's like when you, it's like yeah. when you're watching a horror movie and like someone all, all they hear is sounds. You know, they just hear like oh spooky sounds or like something flashing. Like it's the like yeah. something's there and it's creepy, and I'm getting just enough glimpse of it to be frightened. And the fact that I can't see it now is making is like building the terror. Is making it worse. Is that psychological horror? Actually, yeah, I love that. Oh, he does that because so like. Well. When she first lands, the description is just like, oh, people could barely recognize her because, like, she was so skinny. Uh-huh. Her clothes were tattered. Like, she might as well have been naked or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, well, the Kingsguard picks her up to bring her into the maester. Like, she she also faints. She says, she says, um, I never, and then faints. Which I'm like, what were you, what, what did you, you never, never what? <laughs> The Kingsguard picks her up and he's like, she was, like, hot to the touch, like, hot, like, I could feel her through my armor hot mm-hmm. and it's like oh shit human bodies shouldn't that's, be that hot <laughs> that's not regular fever kind of hot mm-hmm. you know yep and then yeah and then you like slowly get more and the fact that one of the people just straight up who didn't write about her septim 
Barth? Who was it? Um, Benefer. Maester Benefer. Yeah, Benifer that part where he didn't, says, like... Didn't write anything. Uh-huh. Right. That, like, Maester Benefer, like... Oh, where was it? Um, oh, it says, like... It has this whole paragraph that's, like, there are different kinds of maesters. Some of them leave us really terrible notes about what the king liked for dinner. Um, mm-hmm. And others, like... Um, you know, it says, in this regard, Benefer ranks near the top. His letters and journals provide us with detailed accounts of all that he saw and did and witnessed. And yet, in all of Benefer's writings, there's not a single word to be found concerning the return of Arya Targaryen. And you're like, oh, shit. He oh, used it. I have a feeling that Jaehaerys Jeha- probably said, don't write it down. Right. Uh-huh. Jaehaerys probably said, do not write it down. Whatever you do. Yeah. We're not, we're not talking about it. Yeah. But just before that paragraph, there's a, a line that I love on page 247. It says, Mysteries remained, however, even now, centuries later, we are no closer to knowing the truth. And I'm like, that is that is not only about this, mm-hmm. like, section, mm-hmm. but that is about the whole story. Yep. Like, yes, mysteries still remain about mm-hmm. the whole history. But the fact, like, Benefer didn't write about it also gets to, like, something we talk about, about, like, how do we know what is true uh-huh. and stuff like that. We are relying a lot on these court chronicles and what they choose to write about and not write about. I mean, if... if um, Oh gosh, I keep forgetting their names. Benefer didn't write about it. Yep. And who did write Except about in Barth. it? It was Barth. In his like Barth, in his like private letters. Yeah. If Barth hadn't written about it, we would have no idea. Yeah. You know, it it could have easily been something that just disappeared into history as she died of fever. Yep. Yeah, you with know? like that weird line from Luca Strong where it says like she had blood in her eye. Yeah, it says like the girl was flushed and burned with fever. Her skin was so hot he could feel it even through the enameled scale of his ardor- armor. She had blood in her eyes as well, the knight claimed. And, quote, there was something inside her, something moving that made her shudder and twist in my arms, unquote. Um, and that's all. Like, if if we didn't right. have the tale from Barth, all we would know was that she was burned up with fever and, fever and quote, there was something inside her. Yeah. Uh, which which is a really great segue into one of one of the major elements of symbolism in this section is uh, traumatic, horrific birth. Yes, yes, I was reading and I was so like, oh, this much, is more birth symbolism. So much birthing symbolism in this in this so whole much. section, and the like the the fact that it's like a Targaryen birthing mm-hmm. like literal monsters, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about what actually happens because we didn't get too much into yes. it in the summary. So she comes back, she's burning, uh-huh. and she gets taken in. She dies within like the day, but yep. it seems like she's burning from within. Right. Per the description. Yeah, quite li- like quite she- literally burning up. Like not just like yeah. the metaphor of burning with fever where like it's just because your skin gets hot. Like she's literally burning from the inside. Yeah, like her skin is like he th- he describes as crackling like pork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she's like literally being burned from it, like inside, and they yep. at some point like her eyes like explode <gasps> and sorry like eyeballs is yeah, my thing. I know. Is one yeah, of my no, squids. it's a lot. Eyeballs are gross. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't just kill her. Yep. Like I think the right thing to do would have just been like behead her immediately. Yep. Just whatever's happening, just stop it mm-hmm. because one thing that they say is that um. They told the king and queen that she never spoke again, but that's not true. Nope. And he says it. Oh my god! What does he say? He says like the like the horrible things that she was whispering mm-hmm. and how she begged for death. Yep. Um. Yeah. We told the king, as we must surely tell her mother, that Arya never spoke, but that is a lie. 
I pray that I shall soon forget some of the things she whispered through her cracked and bleeding lips. I cannot forget how oft she begged for death. What did she say? Right. What did she what say? What talking about? I want to know. I want to know. Did she give an explanation? Uh-huh. For what happened? Was she so delusional with pain that she was just screaming about the pain? Mm-hmm. I have a feeling she didn't give an explanation because if she had said, like, I went to Valyria and got infected with worms, I feel like he would have written that down. Right. So, or was she saying some other crazy magic shit? Yeah. Yeah. Was she saying some shit about world lore or, like, some fucking, I don't know, was she speaking in old Valyrian or, like, what was she saying? Mm-hmm. Tell me! I want to know! There's so many options! But she's also begging for death and it's one of those things where it's like, you're looking at this poor girl, this teenage mm-hmm. girl, literally burning. Literally her skin, her eyeballs, like, her whole body is burning mm-hmm. and she's begging to die. And you're mm-hmm. like, hmm... Let's put her in an ice bath. Let's see if we can maybe heal her. I don't know. Yeah. Let's let's just see if we can keep her have alive. Have some milk of the poppy. Yeah, have yeah. some milk of the poppy, which doesn't work. Um, yeah. So she, you know, they try and give her milk of the poppy. It doesn't work. She continues to burn like her skin turns dark, like she's mm-hmm. charring. She's charring from the inside. It's when her eyeballs melt. And then, like, smoke comes out of her mouth. And her vagina, and oh. but Martin doesn't call it that because he's a fucker. Well, you have to tell him what they what he calls it. Uh, he calls it her nether lips, and I hate George Martin for making me say that. I hate him for making me read it. I hate that that phrase exists in the English language. In all of the things he's ever written, worst thing, hands down, hundred and fifty percent winner. Nether lips. No, Ugh. thank you, George. Can't you no. come up with something else? Like I know there's not a lot of good vocabulary for like that kind of genitalia you know like we don't have as many mm-hmm. words but like can you pick something that's not that also why why even write that you know like not as george but as the character yep yep like gilday apparently calls it yeah. lips. um i mean i no, don't bar- i mean barth. i doubt he'd say cunt or bart barth, barth yeah i doubt he'd say cunt or pussy or whatever but still but like, why even tell us like we don't need to know yeah we don't need to know about her the smoke coming out of her vagina I mean, there's symbolism there that we'll come back to. Um, so smokes no. come out. Um, and then, like. It could have also been coming out of her out of her rectum. Mm-hmm. We don't know. You know. So they decide that after all of this, they're like, okay, she's literally burning, crisping, turning to, to mm-hmm. crisp like she's being charred. Um, we should just put her body in an ice bath. Let's just shock her body into an ice bath. Great idea. Yeah. What good medicine well, ice they have baths- in Westeros. Ice bath was a way, and still is a way, to treat fever. Right. Because it does bring down the temperature. Right, but like... Because you're, you're yeah. cold. That, I mean, then what were they going to do? What were they, they were like, oh, what would we do now if someone presented that way? I mean, I probably right? would have thought about doing the ice bath maybe immediately when she came in. And, like, the Kingsguard was like, wow, she's really hot. Mm-hmm. Maybe we put her in some cold water right now and not wait till like her eyeballs are literally melting out of her head to put her in the ice bath but you know whatever i'm not a western yeah. maester um yeah so they they put her in an ice bath um like benifer and barth put her in an ice bath ben and uh barth says like i really hope that killed her Really hope that the shock of the He's ice like, just stopped pretty, her heart. I'm pretty sure the stop the shock of the ice stopped her heart. I'm gonna just roll with that for the rest of my life. Go with that because that makes me feel better. Which, like, honestly, like, same. I would be like, I, yeah, you're dead now because I don't want to think about the possibility that you're still alive with what happens next. Because because yep. what happens next is that her bunch of parasitic, weird, wormy things burst out of her body. Yes, there are worms. Where's the description? 
Um, they were worms with faces, snakes with hands, twisting, slimy, and speakable things that seemed to writhe and pulse and squirm as they came bursting from her flesh. Some were no bigger than my little finger, but one at least was as long as my arm. A warrior protect me, the sounds they made. And then they die in the ice bath because it's, it's, too, it's too chilly for them. It's too cold. Um, um, so, what do you think these are? <laughs> um, <laughs> really gross. Um, yes. I have immediately, it's hard for me to like think literally about what they are because all I, cause I see so much, because there's so much symbolism happening. But um, I tend to think of them as some kind of like parasitic infection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's magic. I also don't think it's magic. <laughs> like, I think that whatever these things are, they're natural. Yes. In the yes, way I that like agree. parasitic infections are natural. Mm-hmm. And she just got infested with some kind of nest of parasites. She drank like bad water in Valeria. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I completely agree. So I think I happen to be reading a part of A Feast for Crows that really shed light on this for me mm-hmm. when we were coming up to this section. And that's the part in A Feast for Crows where Arya is with the kindly man in Bravos, and he's explaining sort of the history of the faceless man and oh, yeah. the doom of Valyria. Mm-hmm. And he says, he's describing how the minds of Valyria were really bad and it was really shitty being a slave there. And one of the dangers in the mines was that there were tunneling worms mm-hmm. and worms with a, with a Y, W-Y-R-M-S. There were tunneling worms uh-huh. that like, you know, were, were big and bad and awful. And coupling that with like the existence of dragons in Valyria, the existence of wyverns in that area of the world as well, mm-hmm. what I'm beginning to piece together and my, my, this is hello, welcome to my tinfoil theory, is I think that Essos has a lot of different species of this kind of worm. Mm-hmm. And they're all kind of related to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's just probably a lot more of them than we know about. Dragons being one type. Mm-hmm. And then wyverns either being the same as dragons or being related to dragons. And then just other ones. Ones that tunnel into the mountains. Ones that tunnel into you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? All different things like that. Because these are not worms like W-O-R-M-S yep. that come out of her. Because they have hands. Yep. So what he's describing is some kind of, like, mythical worm Mm -hmm. that sounds like it's related to these other lizards that are related to heat. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Because we know dragons also have this thing where, like, they're warm to the touch. They're fire-made flesh, that kind of thing. So, you know, they they only, the eggs only hatch in, like, in the heat of, like, volcanoes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think this, like, I think it's it's quote-unquote magic to the extent that we have in A Song of Ice and Fire this duality of cold magic and hot magic. Yep. So I think these are all related to that hot magic. Whether that's Rolor as a god or whether that's just like this species of animal. Yep. Is this is their, you know, they're hot-blooded. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not just warm-blooded. They're like hot-blooded creatures and they require, you know, warmth to procreate. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The ones inside Aria, I agree with you. I think it's just she probably on her SOC adventures at one point in time goes to Valyria and gets infected mm-hmm. and whether that's because she touches something or she eats something or she drinks some water i mean parasites in the gut are a kind of you drank bad water situation yep. so these are just kind of like fantasy gut worms right more or right less. and it and it feels like this is and, the, and part of why i say parasites is that this seems to be a part of the life cycle yes 
Um, and we know that, you know, that's how parasites work. They will often lay their eggs in a host and the host, like, it, the host inadvertently incubates them until they're ready to, to, to be born. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, what's happening here is that the, whatever these, the, these worms, these worms, mm-hmm. um, are infesting her and li- using her body as a host body to generate, to like survive until they are born like essentially mm-hmm. which is which is why there's so much traumatic birth imagery in this whole scene because like this is this is a birth scene she's just not giving birth to a human child she's giving birth to parasitic organisms that had invested yeah. her and like hijacked her as a host um mm-hmm. to give you know to give birth to them and i like what you were saying about like that they're really hot-blooded because that's what we're seeing with her fever that like part of the parasitic infection is to turn up the heat in her yep. body and we know that dragon eggs require heat to be born. And mm-hmm. so this that's what's happening is like she her body is overheating very likely because the parasites require that heat in order to be born. And mm-hmm. so they're heating up her body so that you know as and it's again a part of this parasitic infection for them to like mm-hmm. be born and get out into the world. And I don't even know if it requires any magic because like when the first time I read the story and I, I thought about like burning up within like you think of that as like a magic kind of thing. It certainly seems like a magic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if you if you think about it ugh, anatomically, if you took a person and you just and you put something in their stomach that was boiling, and they kept living through that, yeah, they would eventually burn from within. That's exactly what would happen. And they're, you know, just like you burn from without. When you burn from without, your skin crisps. Mm-hmm. It would from within as well. Right. Uh, which is very, very disturbing imagery, but is explainable as a medical condition mm-hmm. and not necessarily magic. Right. It create there's like some really interesting avenues to explore in that light about like is this is the fact that they are par- that whatever these creatures are is parasitic, the fact that they seem to be parasitic organisms and maybe require a human host, potentially require a human host, maybe just mammalian of some kind, some kind of warm blooded mm-hmm. host in order to be born and putting that together with what you're saying about the slaves in in Valyria and whether mm-hmm. or not that was part of the horror of being slaves working in the the volcanic mines is like the Valyrians needed kind of host bodies to 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 mm-hmm. hold their you know as part of we know that quote unquote no like the text talks about blood magic rituals and that the Valyrians are exploring you know um, but it doesn't even have to be magic. It can just be a kind of Mendelian. They're breeding things. And mm-hmm. if they want more magical fire-breathing creatures and maybe mm-hmm. these tunneling, you know, white worms that breathed fire, they wanted to use those as maybe part of breeding, interbreeding with dragons or wyverns. Like, well, what do you need? You might need a human host. And what do you do with that? You get slaves. Like, I'm thinking yep. about, like, the ways in which, like, this is also if – this is like a more of a natural phenomenon rather than like a magical infection. This is just kind of the life cycle of this particular parasitic, gross, weird organism. Then like mm-hmm. what that implies about Valyria as an empire and the, the bodies they were willing to throw at it to mm-hmm. get what they wanted, which was their like WMD fire breathing sky dragons. Like, yeah, it makes me also just question 
blood magic in general mm-hmm. because um, we've, we've talked about this before though is it magic or did we trick you mm-hmm. uh overwhelmingly i think we tricked you uh right. i think that there's a lot less magic in the story than it it says on page the most magic we've seen is in relation to rolar right and 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 in relation in relation to associ stuff so like the magi with daenerys mm-hmm. you know is there blood magic happening in that tent or did she just slaughter a horse and we're all like really into this and it's spooky? Because because like, Jorah describes there being like shadows moving in the tent. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? Right. You know, does that like, and there's like, you know, there's a lot of word of mouth of like, oh, dancing with the dead and all this kind of stuff and don't mess with blood magic. And it's like, how much of it is magic and how much of it is just like really creepy shit like worms, mm-hmm. you know? Well, there is the shadow baby. Melisandre. So that's also tied to Rolor. That's Rolor. There's the shadow. There's that's the shadow baby, and that was yeah. what I was saying. Is that's part of what with the the smoke coming from her vagina? That's shadow baby imagery. Oh, She's giving birth to shadow to smoke, just like Melisandre yeah. did with the shadow baby assassin. Oh, um, yeah. Let's let's talk about the me- the the metaphors and themes here because I I know you want oh to. And I'm very excited oh to hear gosh. what you have to say. There's so much symbolism here. Oh my gosh. So. I was reading this and like I'm like Gretchen's gonna have so many words. I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> this is my shit, folks. Um, so the first thing that stood out to me, like the first set of, the first set of like overlapping symbols is what we've talked about with traumatic birth. Um, Mm. the fact that she's feverish, there's something squirming inside of her is like, wow, sounds like a pregnant lady. Um, compare like the description, that description with like, um, where's page 216. So one of the things we know about her is she's gaunt, she's shrunken, she's feverish, there's something squirming Mm -hmm. inside of her. If we go back to page 216, this is Queen Alyssa Targaryen. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and Jaehaerys found their mother asleep in a bed that stank of urine, drenched in sweat and gaunt as a cro- crone, save for her swollen belly. Like, mm-hmm. very similar imagery happening between yep. Alyssa's last traumatic pregnancy and what's happening here with Arya Targaryen. Um... Both sections talk about the intense pain and how um, the things that they were able to prescribe were not enough, that they could not give them enough to quell the pain. Both of them are spoken of as if they don't speak, you know, like, did they speak or did they not? What did they say? What did they not say? Like, Mm -hmm. is it positive or negative or dangerous? Um, Like, they're clearly in pain. Like, like I just said, the smoke from the vagina is like shadow baby imagery, like Melisandre. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this is... And also just... Go ahead. Just birth just birth and imagery that something is coming out of yes. the vagina. Yep. Yeah. yeah, something's coming out. Um, mm-hmm. Also, like, the creatures having kind of what we would call as, like, anthropomorphic characteristics. He calls that... He says that they have hands and faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever that means, you know? Like, I don't know that it's like a like a snake with, like, a human head on it. Um, mm-hmm. it just means it has something that he recognizes as a face. Yeah. Um, and what, it, you know, hands, some kind of appendage that looks like a hand. Like, I don't think it literally means something that looks like a snake with, like, human arms flopping off of it. Like, <laughs> some people on the internet do think that. I know, and I disagree <laughs> with them. Yes. Um, that he's doing a little bit of anthropomorphizing here, Gildane is, and I think the reason why he's doing that is because Martin is trying to draw a symbolic parallel between what's happening here as a traumatic birth scene and actual mm-hmm. traumatic birth like we saw yeah. with Alyssa. Um, mm-hmm. 
And like you said, like part of this birth imagery is giving birth to monsters. Like it's that mother of mo- I, I am a mother of monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and recalls what Raina said. What have I given birth to? When when yes. Aria runs away, Raina's like, what have I given birth to? What is this? And then Aria mm. turns around and has this like mm. really traumatic like there's parallels being drawn there with like Targaryen yeah. women specifically being the mother of monstrous things. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there's a significance to the fact that it's Raina's child who literally gives birth to monsters. Because like Raina says, what have I given birth to? Obviously implying mm-hmm. like that her child is monstrous and then Arya literally yes. gives birth to monsters. I wonder if there's like a uh, I would have to think about it longer and think about the story more, but I think maybe there's a tie there and like a, uh, like the lesson being like the breakdown of the interpersonal relationship between a mother and daughter, like mm. leads to something monstrous or mm-hmm. dehumanizes maybe. Yeah. It's like maybe it's about a dehumanizing kind of thing. I like that. I yeah, I'd have to think harder about it, but that I I could definitely see him doing something with that. That that seems very significant. That she says that Raina says, "What have I given birth to?" And then Arya literally, literally births literally monsters. births monstrosities. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's also something in that, like the theme that we that that I brought up that I've been looking at is the um, uh, the Targaryen family as a microcosm of Westeros and what mm-hmm. incest, like the the role of incest as being this kind of yeah. like consumptive force from within that like incest. And what incest implies about the disempowerment of women, um, mm-hmm. the ways that that incest so often within the Targaryen dynasty is a way to control women, to keep women from inheriting power. Um, mm-hmm. As we've seen in, you know, previously and we will see coming up that like very often like marrying an older sister to a younger brother isn't just about mm-hmm. keeping the bloodlines pure, but it is often very much about disempowering the older sister of like, well, she'll just marry yeah. her brother and he'll be king and they'll rule together. Yeah, that's what happened to Reyna. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened to Reyna. Um, Alisane was a younger sister, but like, um, it's what potentially maybe what happened with Visenya. We don't know mm-hmm. because she she wielded more power. Um, mm-hmm. But um, the way that incest is kind of a meta- metaphor for the di- like the way that that functions symbolically as a way to talk about the disempowerment of women of keeping mm-hmm. keeping power away from women via incest either through siblings or like reina not didn't just marry her brother she married her uncle so mm-hmm. like women marrying men within the family to disempower them yeah is it is a corrupting is an internally corrupting force that like like erodes from within that like mm. that's the way that incest functions within mm. symbolically within the story and we're getting something that is quite literal here about like an internally consuming force birthing mm. monsters that like become less human over time that they are you know that like right and there's a there's a mm. symbolic parallel happening there between like reina like the generational degradation of the targaryen dynasty like mm-hmm. be, with Raina saying what have I given birth to and then Arya giving birth to monsters is mm-hmm. I think symbolically parallel to the idea that like and the kind of dragon baby myth like that like that's also what I think the symbolic function of the dragon babies is is like these women give mm-hmm. birth to monsters not literally but like the symbolism of like they are becoming less human as 
as the, as the generations continue, yeah. they become less human. Be, and the le- and that's symbolic of the dehumanization mm-hmm. of women under patriarchy, under the systemic disempowerment of them. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts. I love all of those things. <laughs> this is, and it all makes sense because it's all tied because it all related to this incest issue mm-hmm. that this particular family yes. is disempowering the women, not only by like marrying them and controlling their controlling them that way but but by controlling their fertility Mm -hmm. in that it has to be in within the family like they're just continuously inbreeding Mm -hmm. into the family and huh right and just like the 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 fact that it is like this this monstrous birth i guess my question is because i've seen this on the internet and i don't like this theory um i haven't i read about this a long time ago so i don't remember where i read it but um we're referring to it as a birth, but we're both on the page that she just got like infected somehow. Mm-hmm. Was was she impregnated? I mean, only in the way that you can think of any parasitic infection as an impregnation. <laughs> you know, like No, there are people there are people that are like what like there was like some sex had in some fashion. No, I don't think so. Like I don't think so either. Yeah, no. Uh no. I do think still she you still get the benefit of this being unwanted. Yes. And that being another aspect of it, that the these these pregnancies, particularly these incestuous pregnancies in the Targaryen family, are not always consensual yep. or are not fully consensual. I still have question. You know, Alison was socialized to think she was going to marry her brother, mm-hmm. right? So, how much agency does she have in that choice? Yep. You know. Uh, yeah, coming back to the idea that there yeah. there is no real consent under this this oppressive a level of feudalist patriarchy. There's no like it is nearly impossible to have free consent between adults having sex in an environment like this especially when some people have dragons and other people don't um Mm -hmm. but yeah like and when some people are children while other people are adults you know like the i mean the there's so many different power dynamics here that that make all of it really put big question marks on all of these births right you know rain is two children the fact that she had her twins aria and rayella she also was socialized to to think she would marry her brother and have his kids right and she's a queer woman do you think that she ever wanted to marry any man and have any babies ever probably not no probably not and and so it's like you still with aria you kind of have that aspect of it highlighted that like Mm -hmm. this is so obviously not a consensual traumatic birth scene yep um i mean even back to like Alyssa. did Alyssa want that what eighth child nope she she did not her seventh child had been really she had had a pretty traumatic pregnancy there and it had been hard on her because Mm -hmm. she's a woman in her 40s yeah and right yes i love that i love the idea that like martin is kind of intentionally by making by giving us this scene that's so clearly horror but Mm. also so clearly birth like the Mm. imagery is all birth that we're meant to go back to like the less horrific birth scenes and be like huh that's kind of the same, isn't it? Kind of, kind of the same. <laughs> Especially what's happening with Alyssa is like, huh? Kind of interesting that that that. So here we have a young woman who's being forced to to carry, you know, been forcibly, you know, metaphorically impregnated with parasitic mm-hmm. beings that are consuming her from the inside, um, and being forced to birth them in a way that could lead to her death. What else does that sound like? Mm-hmm. What else? I don't know, George. <laughs> And and they burst out of her stomach, right? And Alyssa had to had an emergency. Alyssa had an emergency C-section, yes, right? Yes, and then she died. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, a death C-section, mm-hmm. not, not an emergency. Yep. Um, you know, so it's very it's it's giving it's giving traumatic birth in a mm-hmm. but and I love this kind of thing. It's giving traumatic birth in a horror way. Yes. 
so that you particular specifically for this parallel mm-hmm. so oh, I, lo- I love when stories do this yeah when they give you um the best example I could think of is this very nobody's going to know what this. There's a, t- a Netflix show called Chambers. It's not very good, but the <laughs> one good thing about it, it's about a girl who needs a heart transplant. And she's, um, ooh, I forget the name of the Native American tribe. I do apologize. I haven't watched it in several years. But she's Native American, and she gets a heart transplant from a white girl. And it's a horror story about her then being like haunted by the ghost of the the white girl whose heart she has. Oh. And so it's kind of it's kind of neat. Part of the story is about the rich white family interacting with her because they kind of want to like know the girl who has their daughter's heart. It's all very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of the horror is that her body starts to be taken over by this ghost. So her native body starts to become Ooh. white. And it's like the, it's like the horror version of colonization. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I love stuff like that. Yeah. I love stuff like that. The, sh- the show itself is fine. The, the metaphor is fantastic. Yes. That's really um, good. I was thinking specifically but, also about the, the history of, um, uh, white adoption of native children <laughs> yes in order yes, to exactly in order to colonize them into white society mm-hmm. and take them away from their native families oh yes oh yes i i've learned a lot about that recently because there was actually supreme court legislation yes. related to that mm-hmm. um but uh that's kind of what martin's doing here is he's mm-hmm. taking what is a a regular horror of regular life which is traumatic childbirth that leads to death mm-hmm. and making a like a hyper fictionalized version of it mm-hmm. you know making this this fantasy version of it this fantasy horror version of it to make us look at that parallel closer yeah yep and i love mm-hmm. that yeah um the other symbolism here that is underlying all of this is uh the war of ice and fire he's doing some ice ah! and fire stuff here too um, oh i see you george i see you yeah because she's like burning with fire with like mm-hmm. an external infection of fire um mm-hmm. and the only way to fight it is to immerse it in ice ice mm-hmm. kills the fire um and so we have this like symbolism of like ice and fire warring to consume a young girl's body um and it made me think of um like i think there's something in that that relates to the idea of like she's symbolic of westeros in that moment, I'm thinking about the scene in the, the House of the Undying where Danny has a scene, like, has a vision of, like, a woman being, like, torn apart by people. Yeah. And that's about, that's representative of, like, Westeros. Is, Westeros is the woman being torn apart by, like, mm-hmm. the War of the Five Kings. Yeah. Um, that, like, you could use that symbolism here. That, like, mm-hmm. in this moment, Arya, like, Arya represents Westeros. And you have these, like invasive foreign parasitic fire entities Mm. that have consumed her and the only way to like destroy it is ice and ice comes but does that does that what's the implication of that that ice is safer um or at the very least ice is a good guy ice is a reaction to fire because mm-hmm. um, I kind of I love those kind of heretical theories that like really the White Walkers aren't the bad guys the humans are mm-hmm. you know like is it really that the dragons and the dragon lords are the bad guys right and that's the bad and that's the bad magic yep and the ice magic is the good magic um, I have a whole thing about that in the end when we talk about themes so we will circle back around to that okay excellent because so, like, <laughs> I, I am on the side of like maybe the maybe the others are and what I call an immune response. 
Ooh. like equivalent to an autoimmune response. Oh. Um, so we'll talk about Oh, about I see that. what you're saying. Uh-huh. Oh, I like uh-huh. that. I had, I had one more question about um, the Aria stuff. Uh-huh. If you were to be adapting this to the screen, everything from when she arrives, you know, in, back is basically just lift that front page and put it on the screen, mm-hmm. make it spooky. How would you have her get infected? Mm. Because I, I have two thoughts on this. Because my first thought is like, it would be, it would make sense if it was something mundane, like I drink out, of, I drink bad water in Valyria. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we wanted it to parallel these like traumatic births and whatever, part of the thing that makes these births so traumatic is that like we were talking about, like consent is a big giant question mark. So not that Arya would be like sexually assaulted because it's dragons, mm-hmm. uh, but if she was like attacked by a creature and like bitten yep. or something, mm-hmm. you know, where it was like some like something purposefully did that to her yeah you know that could work too Mm -hmm. yeah so i but i don't know yeah no i like that idea because um one thing we haven't talked about um is that uh balerian was injured too (laughs) balerian was injured too oh that's a good point something must have attacked something had to have attacked them well so they could have been attacked but that could have not been the thing that that gave her parasites yeah no, but you like know, so I've been. But it's possible that like if someone want like if I wanted to adapt it to scream, there's a way that I could make that the same event. Mm-hmm. There's a way that event, that could yeah. be the same event because we don't know what attacked Valerian. Like all we know is that like, um. So this this freaks out Septon Bark too. Um, yeah. So he says like after describing this really horrific thing that happens with Area, he says. Um, Oh, yeah. So on page 252, um, I have written here at length about how the princess died, but there's something else, something even more frightening that requires mention. I mean, fuck you. Like, what just happened to her is actually very frightening, so fuck off. Right. Fuck off, Septon Barth. Um, But he says, Balerion had wounds as well. That enormous beast, the Black Dread, the most fearsome dragon ever to soar through the skies of Westeros, Returned to King's Landing with half-healed scars that no man recalled ever having seen before, and a jagged rent down his left side almost nine feet long, a gaping red wound from which his blood still dripped hot and smoking. And you're like, what the fuck could do that to Balerion? Like, Balerion's a big boy. Mm-hmm. Yep, he is a big boy. So my theory is the half-healed scars are from the times he was in the fighting pit as the Wyvern. Love um, it. Into it. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm just going to lean into it. So what must have happened then is that they were attacked and then fled. Mm-hmm. Yep. So but that's why they came back is that they were because like he's like he's freshly wounded. Right. Exactly. And I would I imagine that the given the how like Aria's infection is escalating very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like. I don't know that those that like her infection and the wound have to happen at the same time, but like my instinct tells me that they're probably fairly close together in time because how quickly her infection is like quite literally boiling her alive. That I don't know how much longer she could have been alive leading up to this moment. Like I guess theoretically it could have been dormant Mm -hmm. for a really long time and then just like suddenly escalated very quickly. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know how likely that is. Like, my instinct tells me that, like, this was a steady increase, you know? Well, like, maybe she was attacked by, like, some kind of large worm. Mm-hmm. 
it bit her mm-hmm. and Valerian was fighting it off yep. and it was another large worm and he got I mean the only thing the only thing we know that kills dragons besides the very lucky natural 20 rolls of the dice for Dorne for uh, crossbow bolts <laughs> is is other dragons yep. mm-hmm. so the only thing that really realistically could have hurt Valerian is something else that is dragon or dragon adjacent mm-hmm. yep yeah yeah oh that would be such a cool scene yep then like in the dilapidated ruins of Valyria, uh-huh. like she gets jumped by something, he she gets bitten, he fights it off, he gets a big gash, they flee. Mm-hmm. She oh man, because it must take a, it must take at least a few days to fly from Valyria to King's Landing, right? right. And they're like flying actively injured, yeah, uh, with this giant wound. But like yeah, like I I find it hard to believe that anything smaller than Valyrian could could inflict a nine yeah. foot long wound so it's got to be at least balerian sized or larger Ooh, um, oh that's so creepy i love it right and like this i think of all of these implications and i'm like maybe this is why this is maybe this is why jaharis was like no one go to valeria just stay away oh Don't that's a go. really good point don't go to Valeria. Really Don't investigate whether or not that. there are even bigger dragons or bigger things. Like, I was so, sus- I've been so suspicious to the reaction. Like, in a way that I wasn't when I first read, when I first read Fire and Blood, I was like, okay, someone comes back grievously injured. Um, it makes sense that you would tell people to stay away. But he doesn't just tell people to stay away. He, like, says that the king's own subjects are forbidden from visiting Valyria under pain of death. That seems like a really harsh reaction to someone getting a parasitic infection. Mm-hmm. That's like, don't go there or we'll kill you. When it actually seems like there's knowledge that he's protecting, maybe some of the things that Aria said that we don't know about. maybe when she was dying she was talking about all the things she saw like there are dragons there even bigger dragons even bigger dragons than we have here there are other things that could kill dragons and people ride them or control them or you know like maybe she's raving about like valyria may have been destroyed but there are survivors there and there are people who have dragons bigger than ours that just haven't come you know they haven't decided to come west and like she's maybe she says a bunch of shit that jaharis is like no one should know that um, so just yeah. don't go. <laughs> don't go to Valyria. It's very dangerous, very bad. You'll die like area, de- you know, like, just don't go there under pain of death. Like, his reaction I is like that. so overblown. And we only see Jaharis react this way when it's about protecting secrets about dragons. That's true. <laughs> he only does that. I love that reading. I had not thought of that. And that also adds, like, so just before the part you read, he also says, uh, Jaharis issued a royal edict forbidding any ship suspected of having visited the Valyrian Islands or sailed the Smoking Sea from landing at any port or harbor in the Seven Kingdoms. No knowledge. You cannot have no any knowledge. No knowledge of no Valyria. Knowledge. We have no knowledge of oh. Valyria out here. No knowledge. Yeah. No one who's <sighs> been there can come and tell us what's going on. Because because there's no there's not really a fear that what Arya had is transmissible because she had it. Lots of people touched her, and nobody else got right. You know, not got anything mm-hmm. right. So also, he hasn't like said what like, happened to her. He's just like, oh, she got a fever. Like I'm imagining the people of Westeros who are like, Arya went on a journey, came back with Valyrian on a fever, and like 
Um, side note, totally unrelated. Don't ask questions. Just don't go to Valeria. And anyone who's been don't to Valeria, Valeria. Like, can't come here. Just no reason. I just decided. I woke up this morning and was like, you know what? We should just not have any contact with Valeria. Don't think about it too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. No big deal. Yeah. Super suspicious. Oh, so suspicious. What? Oh my God. What kind of crazy dragons could there be in Valeria? Also deeply oh. suspicious is Septon Barth's postdoc work. And I think that's tied to what's happening here. So Septon Barth, mm -hmm. like, gets so obsessed with what happens in this scene, which, like, fair. Um, so I'm, I, too, I too would be obsessed. <laughs> I also am obsessed with this. I am obsessed with it. <laughs> um, so it says, like, the horrors he had witnessed had a profound effect upon the Septon, however, exciting the very hunger for knowledge he called my own abiding sin. Interesting to call a quest for knowledge sin. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. I'll come back to that, the idea of that. So it says, it was subsequent to this that Bart began the researches and investigations that would ultimately lead him to write Dragons, Worms, and Wyverns in Our Natural History, a volume that the Citadel would condemn as provocative but unsound and that Baylor the Blessed would order expunged and destroyed. Again, if it's just bullshit, if it really is provocative but unsound, why do you have to burn all of it? Why do you got to burn that book? Why can't you no. let people read it? What's in that book? What's in that fucking book, man? I, What's in the fucking yeah. book? What did Arya say? What? What's in the fucking book? Right. God damn it, George. Because he would have heard what Arya said. And I'm just imagining that based on what Arya said, he decided to do a bunch of research and wrote this book. And that Septon yeah. Barth uncovered some things about dragons, worms, and wyverms based on what Arya said and his own research that the Targaryens were like, no one can know. No one yeah. can know any of this. And to well, maybe it's the fact that dragons, worms, and wyverms are related, mm -hmm. right? Yes, and that and that there are, there are a bunch of them in Valyria. Yep, and <laughs> and Targaryens aren't special. That dragons are, you know, like I'm just like, mm -hmm. look, if this was about like, you know, dragons, you know, if this was like, I uncovered that. Targaryens really are special because the blood magic that the Valyrians performed made all Valyrians part dragon and only Valyrians can control dragons and therefore, you know, like mm -hmm. if it, if that's what he found, the Targs wouldn't want to hide it. They'd be like, look, look, proof that yeah, we are special yeah. and like the gods and, you know, yep. closer to gods than men. Mm -hmm. That like if it really was about blood magic and Targs being special, Baylor the Blessed wouldn't want to burn it. No, because that makes him more special. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, like, whatever he found oh has to be something that the Targaryens don't want people to know. And they absolutely want people to believe that they're special. So that can't be what he's writing about. It cannot be Targaryens are part dragon because blood magic. Because the Targs would love that shit. They would be yes, all would. over that shit. It has to be something that's not helpful to the Targaryen propaganda machine. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. Right. See, see, I always say that if I had, if I got to ask George R. R. Martin one question where he had to answer me, normally my answer is, um, my question that I want to know is, is, is Alyssa Farben, uh, Quaithe. what's her faith? Quaith. Mm -hmm. But a very close second is, please tell me what happened to Aria. <laughs> please tell me. What happened in Valeria? What happened? Uh -huh. What happened? Like, I know she went to Valeria, George. I know she did. Then what? Yep. But I'm like, are there wild dragons? Are there other surviving dragon lords? 
Because that's a question. That would be so cool. That would be so cool. The only reason we believe that there aren't other dragon lords is the Targaryen mythos of their own family housing. That, like, we were the ones who escaped the doom. We're the only ones left. I promise you we're the only ones. Well, and it would make sense if, like, big tinfoil hat energy here. But, like, Valyria has the doom. Things explode. Bad shit happens. Lots of people die. Mm -hmm. People that survive, which... They're almost certainly were survivors. The The chance of there being a natural disaster that completely wipes out an area mm-hmm. is very low. Also, the, the Valyrian know. Empire was big. They had outposts that were not in Valyria. Just because right, the, exactly. the, the capital city blows up, and sure, maybe the capital city blows up and blows up the center of the empire, but you cannot mm. tell me that every, sing, every single dragon rider and every single Valyrian per, being, every single being of Valyrian dynasty, other than the Targs, were in Valyria at the time that it blew up. You know what happened, Gretchen? I know exactly what happened. I know exactly what happened. It's like when the Sept blows up in the bad show. Yeah. Every single, every single poor fellow or whatever was in the Sept. Except for one. And there was a little boy that led him back. Remember? Yeah. So that's what happened. There was one Valyrian dragon rider out in like the grasses of Essos. And he saw a little boy and said, I have to follow him. And brought him right back to Valyria. Mm-hmm. And then it exploded. Yep. That, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's, uh... They gave us the answer in the bad show. <laughs> See, they asked George R. R. Martin how the doom went down. Yes. And they were like... And George said, you'll never guess what happened, guess but what there happened. was a little boy. This is what happened, and they're like, you know what? We should put that in our show. Yeah, that's, that's exactly... That, that was it. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. you're right. You're absolutely Mis- right. Mystery, I have, I have no notes. That is clearly 100% correct. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that, like, there's... the I could very easily buy... The concept that there's a society living in the ruins of Valyria mm-hmm. that's just small yes. and doesn't want to interact with anyone else because the last time that they became a big empire, shit literally blew up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, if they're self-sufficient, they don't need to have interactions with other people. Right. You know? Yeah. They don't need to, like, if they have all, if it's like a relatively small society, mm-hmm. they don't, you know, need all this stuff. If they've got their dragons and their worms and all that. Or... Maybe they're fucking trading with fucking Sothorios, and we don't know because the Westerosi are racist and they don't listen to anything the the Sothorosi say. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 when they're like, there's a there's a dragon in Slaver's Bay, they're like, we all know there aren't any dragons. It's a fucking wyvern. <laughs> it's probably like a probably like a chicken or something. I don't know. <laughs> next time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's what happened. Is that Jaharis? Jaharis responded in a super normal way. Um, because nothing, there was nothing weird about what happened. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I have one tiny note about who gets shafted before we start getting into, getting into <laughs> themes. Um, and okay. I say we all got shafted by having to mm-hmm. read the phrase nether lips. Uh, all, all, every reader yeah. got shafted yep. in this section because, oh my fucking God, George, just don't. Yep, I fully endorse. Please never say that, again. that. I do think he should spend at least a little time in jail for saying mm-hmm. that. Yep. I think that that should be punishable by, like, at least a week. Right. Yeah. I mean, even if it's just, like, writer's jail, that's, like, I don't know what writer's jail is. I don't, I don't I know. I don't know what writer's jail is, but, yeah. I don't write know. Write that. He, George, your punishment is to, like, write that phrase a thousand times over and over and over again. And you have to mm-hmm. read it with your eyeballs and write it a bunch of times. And, yep. and that will be your penance. And by the end of the time, you will hate it so much that you will never write again. Yes. 
Oh God, what a horrible thing what to say. What a horrible thing to say. Imagine looking at someone at their face in real life and being like, nether lips. <laughs> and the editor that let that get through. Oh I blame them as well. Yep. Um, all right. So, all right. So we talked, we did talk a lot about themes. Yeah. But we have more themes. Um, we have more. Uh, there's, I have two that I want to talk about. And I know this is going long. This is going to be a long <laughs> one because this, this section was so It's okay. Juicy. It's a longer section. Um, yeah. One thing I thought was really interesting was the interweaving of the way that the story went back and forth between Alyssa Farman's quest and the search mm-hmm. for Valerion. Like, it would have a couple paragraphs of one and then a couple paragraphs of the other, almost as if we were mm-hmm. meant to, like, see them as linked somehow. Um, hmm. We do know that, like, elsewhere, like, Martin likes to parallel sailing and flying, that, like, those are similar, like, metaphorically. Um, hmm. uh, he likes to compare um flying a dragon to sailing the sea um mm. you know like the like the valarions they're they they yeah. do not fly dragons but they're but they're really good with ships so like those are mm. like similar ideas um mm. and it's like both of them are like metaphoric metaphorically about like seeking knowledge beyond like they're both metaphors mm. for seeking knowledge and adventure because i'm also thinking about how drag um bran is told to fly like flying yes. is about opening his third yes. eye and seeking knowledge mm. and sailing is quite literally especially the way Alyssa Farmer does it is about going off into the world and seeing what there is to find so like these are both like similar ideas about like quests for knowledge that you know flying mm. and sailing are about seeking knowledge um mm. interesting that Aria returns right as Alyssa leaves does almost as if like yes. Alyssa sails off into the west and we don't know what happens to her for now and then suddenly Aria comes back almost as if they're telling the same kind of story that like mm. she leaves and then returns like that you could mm. interweave these two stories as if it's like a story of one person who like goes out into the world seeks adventure mm. comes home changed but dangerously so like she yes. saw, and that's that's why I, I wanted to point out that that point where Septon Barth calls his his like quest for knowledge my own abiding sin. That like Martin mm. has an ambivalence about seeking knowledge. That it is both admirable but also dangerous. It is, and it, and it is. That's true. Mm-hmm. You know, it is dangerous. You know, going particularly in an exploration kind of yep. way. Yep. You know, there's like they're seeking knowledge like I'm studying math a lot, mm-hmm. and then they're seeking knowledge like I'm taking a ship and out somewhere dangerous I'm taking a dragon out somewhere dangerous yep. where no one else is yeah yeah or like uh huh. the quest for magical knowledge and power those are yeah. like those could like equally help and harm you depending you know well in our in our uh headcanon um uh screen adaptation of this fair winds uh i was talking about i think on the last episode the fact that Alyssa farman and area are in essos at the same time mm-hmm. so it's very possible that they interacted. Yep. And I think weaving these stories together would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. And is almost kind of foreboding, yeah. depending on the ending you believe happens for Alyssa. Right. You know, if if Aria had her adventure and, and this happened to her. Mm-hmm. And, and while she's coming back and we're seeing the consequences of, like, an adventure, mm-hmm. Alyssa's on her way to her adventure. Yep. You know, that, that could be foreshadowing, depending on your take on later chapters right like is there some knowledge that's best left alone Mm. 
Maybe we shouldn't use the giant weapons of war. <laughs> Maybe nuclear weapons are bad. Have you considered? Right. And like, we don't know what our uh, area was looking for in Valeria, but like, she chose to go there. And we didn't really talk about this as much as like why she might have chosen to go to Valeria. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, the more that I think about this, the more I think that part of why she chose Valerion is not just that he represents power, like as the symbols of power, but also because he's the only dragon that knows where Valeria is. That like maybe mm. we've been looking at it wrong, but like starting to like looking at it like, oh, she's looking, she's trying to seize the symbols of power because she resents mm-hmm. not being an heir to the throne and that may be part of it. But also maybe she really wanted to go to Valeria and the only dragon who could maybe, maybe and the only dragon who could get her there is Valerion because he's the only dragon who's been there. I, I, there's so many different reasons right. she could have picked Valerian. That's certainly one. I What I like to think is, what, what makes the most sense in my mind, and what I was saying before, I think all these, it would be funny if all of these sightings of Valerian were in fact Valerian. Mm-hmm. If, if those sightings were in fact him, then that means she was kind of wandering around Essos for a while. Because yeah. I don't know that Arya had a goal of where to go so much as she had a goal of getting away. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And like, and not being found. Yeah. Like she wanted to get away from mom and not have mom show up. Similarly to a like... Yeah, there are some parallels with Alyssa Farman. Alyssa, Again, same thing, similar, right? Similar, yeah. yeah. So I think I think Arya ending up in Valyria could just be a reaction to the fact that she tried other places in Essos and kept getting run out for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, Drogon became known as the beast that was eating people, and she knew that word was going to get out about it. Uh, Drogon's captured temporarily in some you know shenanigan type of way for the fighting pits, and they have to flee. Uh, Drogon starts a huge fire and they can't live there anymore because now it's on fire. You know, like, there could be all these kind of shenanigans. I don't know if you realize you're saying it, but you just said Drogon three times instead of Balerion. Oh, I'm sorry. No, but that's interesting because there's <laughs> there's similarities between Drogon and Balerion. Like, yeah, yeah, Drogon's very Balerion similar Balerion things. Yeah, they're a big black yeah. dragon. Yeah, big black strong. Big black strong. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, I meant Balerion. But yeah, I mean, I could, I, there's lots of different reasons she could go there and I, I think actually, like you're saying, like, paralleling Alyssa mm-hmm. is probably the one that's most literarily satisfying. Right. Yep. You know? Yeah. And we, yes, like I said, we see this elsewhere that like the quest for power and the quest for knowledge and the quest for adventure is, um, you know, compelling and also dangerous. And you have to be wary of like how far you go. And I don't think Martin mm-hmm. is saying like, don't ever learn things. But I think what he's saying mm-hmm. is that like knowledge is a two-edged sword um like i i just finished reading um i read a kurt vonnegut book recently um i read i read cat's cradle um okay i haven't read that one and um that's it was a very common reaction this kind of ambivalence about um knowledge especially scientific knowledge is a really common response after the atomic bomb Mm. that like maybe there are like and it makes sense maybe there's some things that we just shouldn't learn shouldn't pursue Mm -hmm. like and maybe this kind of abstract you know scientific pursuit and pure research or whatever like maybe that's dangerous for us like maybe there are things that as humans we shouldn't pursue some kinds Mm -hmm. of knowledge that are too dangerous for us to hold and i think that martin has some element there's some element of that ambivalence in him of like he i think he is a, a, a person who who is curious and wants to understand like he clearly cares about knowledge but also mm-hmm. recognizes that, like, knowledge can be dangerous. I think that's played out very clearly with the Targaryen mm-hmm. dragon lords. Yep. And the fact that, like, the dragons are so destructive. Mm-hmm. 
and basically whether or not people are suffering is like happenstance based on who controls the dragons at that mm-hmm. time right yep yeah the yeah. dragons in and of themselves are actually like neutral beings like as a being yeah. they're just like a they're a thing that can like do damage or not like a lot of creatures are like that you know like a lion mm-hmm. can can like kill and maim a person or not to do like um and the wild dragons that we do get in the story as the story progresses uh we see that the wild we haven't heard yet about any of the wild dragons because they haven't participated in anything but they're there uh-huh. they're just chilling right and they they're just chilling and most of the time they don't actually seem all that aggressive or to like want to kill humans they just kind of hang out and like you mm-hmm. we know that dragons can be used for building projects for example they mm-hmm. can build roads they can build towers like their their, their flames can be used for non-destructive means but most mm-hmm. people use them for destructive means because they're like, oh, big flame, big flame, big burn, yep. burn all the shit. Like, well, that's a big debate when it comes to atomic energy because mm-hmm. you have your atomic bombs that are for super extremely destructive. And, and if anyone ever gets a chance to go to Japan, go to Hiroshima and go to the uh, atomic bomb memorial. I went there last time I was in Japan, and it's absolutely fabulous, uh-huh. like fantastic uh, to see. Um, but then there's atomic energy which creates so much energy and is so useful mm-hmm. is still dangerous yep. because if you fuck with it and you do it wrong, shit explodes. Yep. yep. Uh, you get Fukushima. So probably not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the best kind of energy. I personally am against the use of atomic uh, energy because it is so dangerous and we could do other stuff. But right now we use it a lot mm-hmm. and we rely on it a lot. So, you know, these, the knowledge, like you're saying, two-edged sword. And I, I do think that's what Martin is saying. That's one of his main things that he's saying throughout A Song of Ice and Fire. Right. right. And here is just a really vivid, like, kind of horror example of, like, mm-hmm. that knowledge. So that, like, that's a, that's a theme happening. That we'll come back to. That, like, you know, knowledge is, is both dangerous and useful. I think we need to keep tabs on this. I don't know. We have an answer now. My question is, is there a significance to the fact that when a woman pursues knowledge it's shown as dangerous. Mm. That's some, because the other thing I have, I have issue with here is that both Alyssa and Aria flee because of Reyna. Yeah. And so how much are we blaming all of this on the fact that like Reyna's a bitch? <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. <laughs> like Reyna's mean. She's like, she's nasty and she's like not nice to people. And particularly if we add that layer of the, um, we were talking about uh, an episode or two ago about Andrew Farman. Mm-hmm and her relationship with him like if she's like a mean cruel person mm-hmm. you know how much of these things is her fault you know is that into the woods game of like whose fault is it with all the, all these things uh so and i do think the fault is the patriarchy also right. yeah i mean ultimately but, the, the fault yeah. is the patriarchy as always right so but but i'm interested to see if any of these themes come up with male characters mm-hmm. you yep. know yeah that'll be that'll be a good thing to keep track yeah. of um, okay, so the last thing I wanted to talk about is is the idea of is this is going to get us into the others and the others as a potential potential immune response. So let's do it. Okay, so this whole there's a whole symbolic nexus that if people have are aware of the kind of like um, the part of a song rice and fire fandom that was really interested in mythological symbolism. Um, um, I was a part of it for a while with uh, Mythical Astronomy and Lucifer Means Lightbringer. Um, I had a personal mm-hmm. falling out with Lucifer Means Lightbringer that, like, I'm not going to bring into this, but, like, 
I spent time with that cadre of people who were talking about like really invested in like the kind of mythical symbolism that underlies a lot in a lot of Martin's work that is kind of used throughout and crops up and it's it would take me a really hard time to explain like a really long time to explain like the entire mythological nexus so I will point you mm -hmm. kind of in that direction there's some really good work um I don't subscribe to all of um the mythical astronomy like framework and some of it I've changed my mind about but there are some elements that I think are really interesting that I that I think are useful here so if you've read The World of Ice and Fire, you will know that there's that there's a couple of like ancient stories, one of which is about the Bloodstone Emperor and the Amethyst em Empress. This is really ancient Westerosi history, and it's actually a Soci history where like there's this like lineage of emperors, and it kind of ends with like the emperor's daughter, the Am she's called the Amethyst Empress. She doesn't have any other name. Um, mm -hmm. she inherits the throne and marries her younger brother call who usurps her steals mm. her power kills her and becomes known as the bloodstone emperor and he and he ushers in this like reign of like darkness and terror um in the in this kind of mythological nexus there are theories that this is actually the beginning of the long night that the long night happens during this period where like, mm -hmm. but, but like the the sin, like the ultimate sin is that like the younger brother usurped the older sister and murdered her and stole her throne, which mm -hmm. is we've talked about. Like we have all of these disempowered mm -hmm. women. It's a part of what Martin's doing. This mythology of like usurped women destroy, you know, like the disempowerment of women disempowers us all. Um, so it makes mm -hmm. sense that like the root kind of Garden of Eden, if you want to use that, like like the root kind of original sin of Planetos is the usurpation of female power by a, a jealous younger brother who wanted to rule mm -hmm. instead. Um, and there's like some parallels there with, uh, you know, some people have drawn parallels there with what might be happening with the Asora High Nissa Nissa mythology of like, you know, the flaming sword being a metaphor for knowledge. And like, a, like a, once again, it's about a woman being murdered so that a man can achieve power and knowledge. And there's some parallels there potentially. These don't have to be the mm -hmm. same story, but they're symbolically parallel. Um, we do know from the world of ice and fire that like the first men and the children of the forest had Kings that sat on weirwood thrones. This is another nexus of symbolic parallel that like yes. there were Kings that mm -hmm. sat on a weirwood throne uh, Bran does, Bloodraven does. There's that whole room of children of the forest, like sitting in the roots of the weirwood trees. And that's what sitting on a weirwood throne is, is like sitting mm -hmm. in the roots of the trees and being connected to the trees, having the trees like penetrate you and being linked to the knowledge of the tree and being able to see everywhere. That's, they were kings mm -hmm. who sat on weirwood thrones, like basically like magically ruled from the roots of the trees. Mm -hmm. um, so if you put all of these things together, you get like the potential story of like an older sister who's heir to like a magical weirwood throne. Magic she's the heir to magical mm -hmm. power. Marries her younger brother, who is jealous of her power and usurps her and kills her to gain access to her magical power. He didn't have it himself. He had to kill her to gain access to it. Mm -hmm. Um and this is this magical power is specifically about like the weirwood trees and knowledge, the weirwood knowledge and the magic that comes right. from the old gods. Um, mm -hmm. uh, this seems there's some symbolism that, that this seems to happen when she's pregnant and or about to give birth to a child. And the child then like the child that's born is heir to like is heir in tragedy. And he's like like a like a tragic figure. You have um, children born in traumatic childbirth. 
fit this novel. Mm-hmm. Like the woman dies like as a child is being born into the world. That's Alyssa Targaryen. It's Jon Snow. It's mm-hmm. it's Arya Targaryen. She's giving birth to something as she's dying. Um, mm-hmm. the and then so the reason this relates to the Weirwoods is that. In this kind of mythical symbolism, the king, the younger brother who usurps her throne, is considered like an invader. He wasn't heir okay. to the to the magical power of the trees. He it wasn't his to have; it was hers. So mm-hmm. him killing her and stealing her power is like an invasion. He's a mm-hmm. foreign invader going into the trees when he shouldn't have been there um, mm-hmm. to gain power. But like the trees fight back, like the magical, you know, the network fights back. Um, and there's okay. often imagery of this invading king is often symbolically associated with fire, that he's fire that is burning the tree as he's mm-hmm. going into it. Like, think about the Targaryens coming to Westeros. Right. Um, or even the initial okay. Hall, like Heron the Black is this invading ironborn who like builds you know builds a thing you know he builds a castle there Mm -hmm. but then it's burned down like you know like the invaders Mm -hmm. are often fiery invaders they're coming in with Mm -hmm. fire um Mm -hmm. uh to like and it burns the trees or harms them in some way and that is part of the attempt to like control this kind of magical network that like fire is being used to conquer and Mm -hmm. and potentially destroy but the trees are fighting back um, and the resistance is often symbolically paralleled with ice as an attempt to freeze out the mm. fire. And stop the stop fire. Stop the fire as we just freeze it um, mm. to halt the invasion. And that's why it feels to me like ice is like an immune response. Is like... From the world. Yes. From planet Yeah, from, like, yes. Oh. That, like, you know, the the fire is coming to invade. It's like a virus. And then the body is going, fuck mm-hmm. you, and, like, throws up ice to, like, freeze it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and to protect the trees. Yes. Yeah, be, to protect the trees because, from like, burning. The, right. Like, the nat- like the natural, I guess, enemy, if a tree had an enemy, mm-hmm. would be... Fire. <laughs> one, th- one thing would be fire. Yeah. Because... They're made of wood. Yeah, because they're made of wood. So the response is to, like, in order to prevent the burning is to freeze it. Right. Um, so you get a lot of mm. symbolism of frozen trees, especially in the north. Yeah. Um, well, also just the coloring of a, of a weirwood white, being. It's white with, with, white. Bird, with, with red leaves. With red leaves, yeah. That look yeah. like fire. They're depicted as yeah. looking like fire, which is symbolically yeah. parallel to, like, a burning tower. That like towers, yeah. like the high tower, which is like a tower of knowledge with a flame on top. Like you get a mm-hmm. lot or the burning of the tower at Winterfell. And the, mm-hmm. the tower is the library. So like the trees yeah. represent knowledge, the, a storehouse of knowledge that is being mm-hmm. burned, attempted to be burned and destroyed by invaders. And the response mm-hmm. is to freeze it um, mm-hmm. in order to, to halt you know the destruction I even think there's some knowledge I think there's some symbolism in that too in terms of like the coloring is like with Sansa Stark being like her being like pale and having red yes. hair yep and like being of the north yep like I do think or like um I don't like all the, all the stuff about kissed by yes. fire you know eager 100% like all this this concept Kat of being Stark like also yep. has that same coloring mm-hmm. um uh, yep. John, uh what's her name egret if you see a red-haired mm-hmm. woman, a pale red-haired woman is the, is the, you're exactly right. That's the exact same mm-hmm. symbolism. Pale red-haired woman yeah. is a, is a kiss yeah. by fire, is a burning tree. Thing. Yeah. And the, that's so, it's such an interesting phrase to have always loved the phrase, kiss by fire, because mm-hmm. it's like, fire is dangerous. 
and mm-hmm. painful. You know, it doesn't kiss you. Right, right. But that, but it's 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 a, it's more about the symbolism of looking like a tree on yeah. fire. Right. Yeah. Really. Yes. A weirwood tree. A very specific tree. Yes. A tree. very a specific. Tree it's a weirwood tree on yeah. fire. Um, being oh. burned by the invader. So it was, and it responds with ice. So you can see that, like, once I once I kind of like lay out that, it took a lot of time to give you all of the symbolic and mythological pose. Mm-hmm. But once you put it in that, no, but order, give it to me. I want it. Once you put it in that order, you like read Arya's mm-hmm. story, and you're like, oh shit. Um, like, she usurped her younger sister. But when they mm-hmm. swapped places, Arya should not be the heir. Aria is actually Rayella. She's right. the younger sister. So we have a younger right. sibling usurping an older sibling. Um, mm-hmm. Then Danny's made the heir. And Aria resents the fact that she mm-hmm. has been disempowered. So she's a younger sibling who believes that she has power and is then disempowered. And right. responds to that like she seizes one of the symbols of power, Balerion, the black dragon. Um, goes mm-hmm. to Valyria for reasons. We don't know why. But whatever. She leaves. Mm-hmm. And when she returns... She's infested with some kind of infection that's described in ways that are very similar to the roots of the weirwood trees. We talked, I've talked about that symbolism before. Yep. That like when it, if you see white worms in bodies, that's weirwood. That's like the roots of the, so like she's becoming mm-hmm. a weirwood king, queen by like mm-hmm. having. But the fire version. Yes, but the fire version of being infested yeah. with these like wormy roots that oh. are literally consuming her from the inside out. Like we see the mm-hmm. weirwood trees consuming the kings that, you know, they intertwine in the roots and they, like, feed off of them. So she, you know. But she's also a woman, so she also represents, like, she's also the burning tree. Like, she's... And she's also giving birth. She's also has the... the, Yeah. She's all of it. She's She's all all of it. it. She's burning. She's giving birth. And then, like, the way that, like, she dies is by ice. She and all of the invading things are killed by are ice. Shut down by ice. Like the things that are burning her from the inside out. Those burning invaders are and mm-hmm. are killed by ice. So the ice oh, freezes like all of them. Um, I also like. I like. There's an overall symbolism to that too that goes, which is just that like a fever is a sickness. Yes. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the what we were just talking about before. One of the ways you could treat a fever is by ice. Yep. By putting someone in an ice bath, you could treat a fever by trying to cool it down, mm-hmm. you know, and that that kind of parallel of paralleling like invasion with mm-hmm. sickness, yep. and then these defenders, like like if that if that's if that is the case, if it's an invasion, if it's sickness, mm-hmm. like if the fire is yep. that, then by that necessarily the ice aspect of it is the defenders. Yep. yep. I've always kind of been on board with the concept that the White Walkers are not the bad guys because um, something very basic that I think George is doing on purpose. And I think he's talked about this in um, in interviews that like the Night's Watch, who are like defending the realm, quote unquote, all wear black. Mm-hmm. But they're supposed to be like the good ones defending the realm. And then the White Walkers are all like just, they're like ice. They're like in, all in white. And they're like very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that could be taken one of two ways. It could either be that he's just, like, messing with fantasy tropes mm-hmm. and, like, really the good guys are wearing black and color coding is not that simple. Or it could be that it really is color coded for your convenience, but you're missing it because right. of the point of view of the characters that you're reading. Right, right. That, like, and in that sense, part of what the bad show does, I mean, which is really dumb, but the idea that the children of the forest are involved with the White Walkers, like, I buy that. I don't mm-hmm. buy that they did it because they're like evil masterminds or whatever and wanted to fuck up the planet. But like, Mm -hmm. um, like 
the children of the forest are the are the original heirs to the old gods. Like they're they're yeah. the ones that are tied to the old gods. Um, right. There are some theories that like maybe whoever this like er female figure who was like sacrificed and murdered might have even been part children of the forest herself. Um, mm. They're the ones that have that like a kind of innate magical connection. And if humans have it, the implication that I read in the story is that if humans have it, it's either because they stole it. Or because at some point in the ancestral lineage, there was a Children of the Forest as a part of the lineage of some yeah, way. That was like a, a breed, an inbreed, or outbreeding. Yeah, yeah. Some of, yeah breeded, there's yes. some ancestor that's yeah. that's Child of the Forest. But like that humans don't yeah. naturally have access to this kind of magical power. But they want it. Mm-hmm. And so they steal mm-hmm. it. And so it makes sense, you know, that like, it's not just that like the Targaryens are kind of in the in this way of like the Targs are a microcosm. The Targs as mm-hmm. like the invaders of fire coming in and like conquering Westeros is a microcosm of like I think what George R. R. Martin is doing with like humanity going that like if humanity mm-hmm. tries to access magical power in this kind of ancient way like they shouldn't have it this was not meant for them this this was a thing that mm-hmm. belonged to another species and they stole it mm. and the response would be that, like, if the children of the forest are involved in, in the creation of the others, it's in this kind of defensive way of, like, leave us in our fucking trees alone. Like, get out. Yeah. Like, we are just defending I don't, ourselves. I don't know that I buy that the children of the forest made the White Walkers. I think this is the timeline network or something. Yeah, I don't think like, so. I, I don't. I tend, I tend to think of the White Walkers as just, like, they're just another species. That, mm-hmm. They're another fantasy species that lives up right. there. Um, in the lands of always winter. Not to make this podcast another two hours long. Um... But how do we reconcile all this with our the good show, House of the Dragon, giving us the prophecy dagger? Well, I think that the Targaryens in... I don't know what the, where the show is going with it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that if you buy either an, in the Doyleist... Like, if you buy in the Watsonian sense, like, say, say that you live in Westeros and you see these icy creatures that are freezing your land and you're like, fuck those people. We hate them. Mm-hmm. If you think that they're the bad guys and you have fire, you think you're the good guys. Because yeah. fire burns ice. Yeah. Like fire right. melts ice. So like mm-hmm. I, again, I don't know where the show is going with it, but like, um, and I also believe that, that House of the Dragon is constrained by what Game of Thrones did in some ways. Mm-hmm. That like, yeah. so... Game of Thrones wants us to believe that defeating the others was, like, a wholly 100% unmitigated good thing. That, like, we definitely have to defeat them because they're definitely evil and bad and zombies. But, like, yeah. I think that George R. R. Martin's version is going to be much more complicated. But when you're when you're handed mm-hmm. a, like, clear-cut, we're the heroes, like, I feel like there's only so much House of the Dragon can do. But, like, I would yeah. explain that, well, like, just... if the Targaryens have this sense of themselves as heroes... It's because they buy that the others and the encroachment of winter is bad and not like right. a perfectly normal response to like them coming in with fire and burning all the shit is like, well, maybe you stop the burning. Like someone's got to stop mm-hmm. the burning. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe the maybe the b- big bad ice things won't come. If you don't fuck it up first. Right. Yes. Maybe they will stay in the land. Like, maybe they'll stay in their lands if you just don't burn things. Because do we We don't know the source of the prophecies, Azora High. Mm-mm. And we just know that they're, they're, they are there are prophecies. And then the show put it on the, de- on the dagger. Right. 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 And even so, the Azor High mythology is spoken of in the book as positive. And this is one of the things that I really liked about the mythical astronomy community is saying, well, what if Azor High was actually a bad guy? 
Seems right. like the guy who Those seems like the guy who murdered his wife to forge a sword. Probably not a hero. Maybe not great. <laughs> maybe not good. Maybe not a good boy. Uh-huh. Maybe not the best boy. <laughs> maybe not the best boy. Yeah, I I love thinking about these sort of. I think they're called. Aren't they called the heretic theories or the heretical Probably. theories? The, the concept. Mm-hmm. It's the concept of of taking like the basic premise of the story and, and reversing yep. it and saying like maybe all of our good guys are actually mm-hmm. bad. Right. Uh, this is like my my interpretation of The Last of Us too. I'm like Ellie is the bad guy. If Ellie is the bad guy, it all makes sense. Yeah, it does. I, I mean, it does actually. About it. Uh-huh. Yeah. If if Ellie's the villain, it makes uh-huh. sense. Anyway, yep. I was having this argument last night. <laughs> no, I agree with you. And that like but, the one other thing that I that I forgot to talk about until right this moment was that like the others are in a lot of ways depicted of as being like emanations of the tree that they like come from the tree. Yeah, they kind of, yeah. They're mm-hmm. associated. They're always present. Yep. Um, and they're, yeah. they're like shadows and depicted almost as if like the trees like give birth to them somehow or like they come from the trees that they're like definitely mm-hmm. tied to the trees and maybe somehow emanate from them somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that imagery is also present here with the, the giving birth to smoke, the like giving birth to the smoke. Yeah. Um, uh it's oh. what it's what we call in the community the shadow baby assassin myth mm-hmm. symbolism of like you give birth to a shadow that like then kills your enemies that like mm-hmm. the others are a shadow that kills the enemies of the trees yeah. but they're a white shadow um but that mm-hmm. that's very similar to what melisandre does when she she gives birth to her own shadow baby assassin like she gives birth to a shadow that kills the enemy of the king um mm-hmm. And she, like, Arya here is giving birth to shadow, or giving birth to smoke in that, and, like, right. symbolically, that kind of symbolism is also present of, like, you know, mm-hmm. the dying woman gives birth, and one of the things that can be born is, like, what we call the shadow baby assassin, that, yeah. that is symbolically linked to the others as, like, the trees cannot defend themselves because they're trees, but... Mm-hmm. Something must fight for the trees. Who who will fight for the trees? Says. <laughs> yes. One other, if people want to have fun, because this is what I did, was once you start to see kind of the way these symbols overlap, you can just have fun seeing it everywhere in the text. Um, yeah. Is a woman in a tower is very similar to the to the burning tree imagery. If you have a woman in a tower, it's like the like, because part of the part of the theory is that a piece of the woman who died, like that the part of the soul of the woman who was murdered for the for the king to gain access to the weirwoods lives on in the trees somehow. That like a part of her like yeah. went into the weirwoods and is living mm-hmm. there. So like if you see a woman trapped in a tower, that's you know that's a, that's oh like a woman in a tree. That's a woman. Oh, that's see, a woman I trapped see. in a tree. And like women get trapped in towers yeah. all the time because again it's that uh-huh. symbolism of like there is a there's a, the patriarchy. yeah like she was killed. Part of her lives on and she's trapped. She's trapped in the tree. Yeah. Um, I have theories about Valor and what happens in like seeing images in flames and seeing images in the tree. Like I, my personal very pet tinfoil theory is that um, what anyone is tapping into when they see, when they see vision in flame or the weirwood trees that like those are civil, like, like they're tapping into the same source there. Like, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that, like, when Melisandre is reading the flame, she's not really doing anything that much different than when Bran is connected to the weirwood tree. That there's this, like... Yeah. I completely agree. Um, yeah. And I think that that... My personal tinfoil theory is that that is the woman who was trapped in the tree. Oh. That, like, they're communing with a person. But that she can only communicate through images. I always thought... And- 
I always thought sense. the weirwoods were like a godhead where there were like multiple people. Yeah, but I think that, but like, I th- I agree. I think that there is more than one person in the tree. I think it is the collective knowledge. But right. that, yeah. the reason why Bran specifically sees certain images or why people see specific things in the flames is that someone is guiding the visions they see. Mm. And the, all of those visions, like I'm thinking, like there's, Bran has a vision of someone being sacrificed to a weirwood tree. Like yep. when you when you try when you put together a lot of the images the, the images of what Bran sees it's like oh you can fit all of those images they're not necessarily the same story but a lot of the symbolism in those shows up in this kind mm-hmm. of like er mythology of the like the woman who was killed that like mm-hmm. they share the same symbolism that like my personal pet theory is that whoever this woman is is trying to guide what Bran sees in order to communicate to him like this is like the sin that was committed and so if we're gonna resolve it like you have to kind of know what happened yeah that like but the only way she can do it is these kind of like bits and pieces yeah random like images but that like hoping that someone will put all of the pieces together to like understand that like hey yeah like i was murdered thousands of years ago and the the others are a response to my murder Mm -hmm. And so they're mm-hmm. not the enemy. You like you need like you don't fight them. Fight with words. Don't fight with armies. Fight with right. words. Like this needs to be resolved by diplomacy, and mm-hmm. rec- and like righting the wrongs that were done thousands of years ago, rather than just fighting each other. And that she's desperately I, I trying love, to communicate that. I love the concept of like generational, like tra- like generational trauma, and like trying to like what you just said, like right the wrongs of thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. and like the like the aeons of of cruelty and trying to reset that yeah. and trying to to make that okay you know to, to to heal it in some fashion oh i love that concept mm-hmm. that would also make sense if she was like the first one in the trees mm-hmm. you know to be like the one kind of running the trees I yeah guess. she's, 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 like, the, she's like the tree mom and everyone else is kind of joining her in the trees when they die yeah like welcome to the tree uh-huh. you're gonna have a good time it's the godhead you're gonna live forever would you like a raven <laughs> yeah may i interest you in some birds <laughs> May I introduce the birds? We have this guy sitting in this tree now. He's new. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. We grew through his, at least grew through his skull. It was cool. Mm-hmm. You know, he let us. It was cool. He's got one eye. It's neat. Right. 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 I mean, and the fact that Bloodraven seems kind of like apart from everyone, like you would think that mm-hmm. he would just use, I don't know. Like I, I just have theories that like maybe Bloodraven has been like recruited and like, I, I just have this like whole wild theory that like there is a consciousness there. There's not just like, a plurality of the trees consci- reached out to Bran. Yeah. The trees reach out to Bran. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And that there, I could totally that see there that. There is yeah. yes, there's a plurality of consciousnesses within the weirwood, but, but there might be one voice that's trying to communicate something. Um, yeah, uh, because and it, and it's a, like it, it fits into the symbolism that like I don't, oh gosh we're gonna be anyway I don't want to spend too much time but like another another nexus of symbolism is the silent woman the silent and silenced Ooh, woman trying yes, to speak. Yes. Um, yes. think of Lady Stoneheart. Lady mm. Stoneheart has major imagery that, like, Lady Stoneheart is, is such a great example of all of the symbolism we're talking about. She's kissed by fire. She's a kissed by fire maiden. Um, mm-hmm. She is cut across the throat, which is like a mm-hmm. weirwood death, you know? Like, the, the cutting of the throat is symbolically what happens when, like, you murder someone for the weirwood. Like, and it, it talks about, the mm-hmm. like, the weirwood smiles as if they're, like, bloody gashes. 
Yeah. Um, yep. So it's this really horrific. So she dies. The like, tears. The red tear. The red tears are the weirwood, like the scratches down yep, her face. Yep. Yep. The scratches down. Uh, her. She looks like a weirwood when she dies. She has bloody gouges, yeah. like bloody tears, a slit throat, like a smile. Mm-hmm. Um, her flaming red hair that they cut off, mm-hmm. and she's like, "Don't cut my." You know, like she, th- she thinks they're going to remove her hair. Like her hair is a part of mm-hmm. that death. And then when she comes back, she's this like angry, bitter woman because she's been transformed by that death experience Mm -hmm. um and she also can't speak very well she's she's you know like she's been like silenced in her own way she can speak some but she's she can only speak in little bits and pieces and it's hard to understand Mm -hmm. her you're like oh just like whoever like if there was a woman in the tree Mm -hmm. but she's brought back by fire magic Mm -hmm. yes Mm. yeah that's true um people have there's mm. there's i mean people have talked about that too about about that there are um what they might call fire zombies that are opposed to the ice zombies that fire oh. that like ice can invenerate you know like we see like that there are that mm-hmm. they're like that the ice can bring the dead to life yeah fire can do it too and those two are that the ice and the fire zombies well, also, typically fight each other too yeah i that's so interesting i love all this stuff that's great uh-huh so, but yeah, so I, I thought I, I thought that was a really great discussion. I don't want to cut us off, but we're we're going very going long. very long. So yeah, I will. If there are other times <laughs> that I can bring up some of the symbolism throughout the story, because it shows up here, I will tell you. I will tell yeah. and the, all of the people out listening. Um, I have been holding back a lot on this symbolism because it requires a lot of explaining. But like all over my fire and blood books, is I'll be like, oh yeah, there's a weird death, and like oh yeah, there's a silenced woman, and oh yeah, there's like kiss by fire. Like I just have like I spent so long doing that symbolic work that it just like lives in my brain and I see it everywhere. I, I fully honestly love when you talk about it. I think it's so interesting. <laughs> well, and I I never think of this kind of stuff on my – well, I sometimes do, but not certainly not as much as you have. I haven't studied the Texas as thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just love hearing I, – I love hearing all kinds of stuff. And I certainly hope our listeners do, too. I think they do because we have a good number of mm-hmm. them. Um, do we have anything else for this section? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Okay, so then let's do – um thank you all for listening let's do a little shout out did you want to shout out the philippines yeah yeah so we got some we got actually good cluster of people in the philippines who are listening and i just think Um, that's awesome i think that's so cool like the the concept to me even that like like i said before the concept that anybody will listen to us is awesome uh the concept that we have people around the world that are listening is so cool and we hope that we make some amount of sense and help you feel connected to this fandom and uh and that you enjoy our our discussions uh, yeah i so thank you shout out to, shout the, out to the philippines i hope you all appreciated my like 40 minute rant about symbolism i don't care if they appreciated it because i did <laughs> i appreciated it <laughs> So if anybody wants to get in touch with us, our email address is houseoffireandbloodpodcast at gmail.com. It's all one word. Our Instagram is houseoffireandbloodpodcast uh, on Instagram. All one word again. Uh, and next time we're going to be reading um, the next section. So starting at the top of page 253. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next section is shorter. So we had sort of cut it because we wanted to make sure to cover all the Aria stuff in this one. Uh, to the To the... Towards the end of page 261, it ends with um, a few days later, the queen convened her women's court in Lord Manderley's own hall, a thing hitherto unheard of in the north, and more than 200 women and girls gathered to share their thoughts, concerns, and grievances with her grace. 
Yay! Uh, Alison doing so, good thing yay. for women. We love Alison. Um, and all right, are you ready to sign off? Yeah. Um, so, uh, oh yeah, thank you everybody. Uh, and until the next time, remember, um, burning books is definitely a sign that the contents of the research are completely unfounded and unsound, and not at all that the books are dangerously close to the truth. I that yeah, that makes sense to yep. me. I don't yeah. know. So so. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, and until next time, remember, uh, if uh, you ever are riding a horse or driving a car or in a plane and it goes somewhere, it's because it decided to, not you. There's no way, no no rider or passenger has ever chosen the location. Didn't you know we already have self-driving cars? All cars are self-driving. Oh, boom. All self-driving. That's, that's just, <laughs> it's just the will of the car. It's the will of the car where you're going. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. And we will talk to you Bye, next everybody. time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hello. It's a children's book for podcasters. Ooh. Are you my are microphone? You, are you my microphone? <laughs> <laughs> well, because last night I did... Um, I'm going to be doing this streaming thing the the week of my birthday. I took off from work and I'm going to be streaming The Last of Us mm. 2 for like the full the full week, like every night. Wow. Um, so I had to uh, I had to test my capture card at like the tech. Mm-hmm. So this computer, like this whole setup I have for a podcast was in my living room with wires going from it to the television like fucking jungle vines. Like it was insane. <laughs> There's so many pieces, and I'm like, I still need to get more stuff. There's still stuff I, like, need to get before next week when I start. Um, but, so, it was, like, everything was, like, over there, and I had to, like, fuck with the microphones and stuff like that. And that's why I was using this microphone. But it seems to be, it's working as it the correct microphone now. But, yeah. Hooray! Yeah. yeah. We're back. <laughs>